Hello and welcome to episode 173 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Emanuel. Kevin Smith has got to take a week waiting in the wings. We're taking a break from our Viewers Universe series and we are going back to our, I guess you could call it our bread and butter, although that's probably more Oscar films. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know what the opposite of bread and butter is. Meat and potatoes? No, that's the same thing. No. This, <laughs> this would be our ongoing series. Yes, that is true. It is a, seri- it is a series that uh, we have never done two episodes back to back. Very um, true. Yeah, we are talking about our MCU movies, which we will always uh, go back to watch uh, whenever they're in theaters. Shang-Chi and or Shang-Chi and or... I'm just going to go with the vanilla pronunciation of it, just for simplicity. Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings came out on Friday, or I guess Thursday. Thursday. Um, It is currently the following Thursday, and uh, Manny and I have both had a chance to watch it. We're going to talk about it. These ones are always difficult, because you can't really take notes in a movie theater particularly well. I did try to. I don't think I am going to next time that we do a movie uh, that's in the theaters. Although, oh, the next one is... The next one's a good one. Oh, The Eternals. No, there's one before that, isn't no, there? No, there's not. Oh, yeah, it's in my schedule still. It's before that. Oh. Oh, oh, that one. Yeah, that Sorry, one. Sorry, I thought you were talking about MCU. Oh, yeah. no. no. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Dune. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, one, that one's still in October, isn't it? Yeah, we... I'm about 90% sure that we'll be able to get it on premium rental. Oh, so we could do one in the theater. And one. And then later that week, come over here, get some pizza, watch it again record an episode it's possible okay because they're really because it's warner brothers in the states they're releasing it day and date on hbo max mm-hmm. but they're not doing that in canada but i think that they've let they've what they've done in canada is it's allowed for premium rental okay so we'll know closer but i can guarantee you that i'll be going twice either once at the th- either twice at the theater or once at the theater and once here. Uh, we were having a conversation off air actually mm-hmm. about uh, the Dune trailer uh, because we obviously both went to the theater this week yes. on separate occasions uh, to go see Shang-Chi and uh, the Dune trailer played beforehand and longtime listeners will know you and I both go to great lengths to avoid trailers, teasers, spoilers, uh, any sort of information. If we can go into a movie as blind as possible, that's a success. So uh, the fact that a movie we have been anticipating for it feels like two years now is that two accurate? years we've been anticipating this movie for two fucking years back in our top of 2019 episode we both listed it as our most anticipated movie of 2020 and then it got delayed because of the uh coronavirus pandemic mm-hmm. we've been waiting for this movie i'll be damned if i'm gonna have this thing fucking spoiled for me in the trailer um you did watch the trailer i did uh i when it came on i literally uh, shut my. I looked down at my feet and plugged my ears, and uh, I avoided it at all costs. And I even I even threw in a little la 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 uh, because I could still hear a little bit. Um, was I correct to do that? Having seen the trailer, do you wish you could go back in time and unwatch? Like, is it is it really that spoilery? <sighs> I can tell you right now. I know that I can definitely tell you one part or one aspect of the film has most likely been spoiled. Mm. I can tell you this, so holy fuck, does it look good? (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Believe me, every fiber of my being wanted to look up and unplug my ears and just watch this trailer. I just, I've been waiting for this for two years. I just want to taste. I just want to taste of Doom, but I can't do it. Because then if they spoil something, it's not going to be as cool in the theater. We're like only four weeks away. 
Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. We have I don't want to prematurely celebrate cuz we're not there yet and coronavirus is still a thing here in Canada, but it feels like we fucking made it. We got three three more weeks of Kevin Smith movies which we can totally make it through. No, we got more than that. Four. We're we're uh, we're 5 week we're 5 weeks out from Dune. Well, for some reason I thought we had it was like Dogma Clerks 2 and Jay and Silent Bob, something like that. Those are the only three we have left for... No, we have Dogma, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, uh-huh. Clerks 2, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Ah, uh, okay. And then Dune? No. No? No. Still no? No. Dune's coming out at the end of October. Ah, shit. I know. I still have... A, this podcast schedule must be old, because I think it was coming out beginning of October before, wasn't it? And yeah, it got they, pushed they, back. They pushed it again, because they always fucking do that to make it not compete with something i can't no, remember. i think they just pushed it back for pushing it back yeah, yeah because it's coming assholes. out on october 22nd <sighs> okay that's actually it's four days after my birthday so happy yeah. birthday yeah right i wish i wish it would have come out the previous week though that would have been a nice little birthday gift for right? sure right <laughs> right uh anyway so that's this week but first and foremost before we get to that uh, manny where can the people find us on social media if ah, they, they so? can find us on instagram and twitter at sam underscore manny no sam underscore manny underscore movie yeah, you got it that yeah. sounded wrong to me don't for tell some yourself man you're doing great thanks buddy <laughs> uh they can email us at sam manny movie podcast at gmail.com they can find us on facebook at samuel manny movie podcast and they can find our podcast wherever you get podcasts just search the samuel and manual movie podcast by the way, um, yo, yo. somewhat related, mm-hmm. but not really, okay. <laughs> as we like to do. Yeah. Did you know that there is a Kevin Smith on the Toronto Blue Jays? No. Yeah. I uh, I was watching a game the other day. He's a prospect that just got called up, I guess. Uh, are they still doing September call-ups? I remember hearing. Yes. Okay. Because I remember hearing something that they maybe weren't going to do that anymore. Anyways, September call-up for the for the Toronto Blue Jays named Kevin Smith. Uh. And uh, I saw him in a, in a game the other day, and I've already started referring to him as Silent Bob. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah. So, uh, Manny. Yes. You have been busy, as always. Please uh, help me out. Uh, what have you been uh, watching here? Well, just before we get to what we've been watching. Please. Uh for our listeners, if they maybe didn't get to hear last week or anything like that, there will be no Maya's movie moment. Oh, yes. uh, my daughter was busy this weekend mm-hmm. as her mother got married. Congratulations to Julian Chad. Uh, I, was, I was trying to think. Of, I'm like, isn't there some word you say to them when someone gets married? I mean, Mazel Tov, maybe? Yeah, something like that. I, yeah. I don't know. Okay, anyways, congratulations to Julian Chad and their wedding. I, I'm... I won't lie, I'm, I'm very excited to see the pictures. I bet you they are beautiful. Fantastic. And I'm actually kind of really excited to see what my daughter looked like all dressed up. But also, how dare they take Maya from what is clearly yes. a bigger commitment I know. and a more important thing. Like, there's there's marriage and there's love and all that's yeah. great. But what greater love is there really than between a daughter and her father's podcast? I agree. Is there a greater love than that? I There isn't. So, uh little bit selfish on I agree. behalf of Julie and Chad. I'm going to call her selfish when I talk to her tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yes, I'm sure she'll appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, so for those of you that are anxiously waiting for Maya's movie moment in this episode, sadly, there it's is none. It's just us. So you're more than welcome to turn the podcast off. Uh, yeah, I'm talking to my mom, who only listens to Maya's movie moment and turns the podcast off. That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you're talking to like 10% of our listener base yes, right there. <laughs> If you're only talking to one person. Yeah. So I just I just wanted to let people know in case they're waiting around for uh, for Maya's movie moment. There is none this week. So I will get into what I've been watching. I watched a lot as I had some time to myself with a, a whole weekend, a long weekend without my daughter. I had nothing but free time. 
I'm not going to talk about everything I watch because we don't have that much time. So I whittled down to these five that I just want to touch on. So the first one is a, what year was that? Uh, 1985 comedy that I loved as a kid called Weird Science. Uh, two high school nerds use a computer program to literally create the perfect woman. But she turns their lives upside down. This stars Anthony Michael Hall from The Breakfast Club. Sam, I loved this movie as a kid. And I'll be honest, I haven't watched this movie probably in well over 20 years. And I was excited to revisit it. I was going to see how well it held up. So also checked off my box of movies I own that I haven't watched in a long time. So nice. I got to I got to knock down that list a little bit. And Sam, this movie's not good. Wow. This was this was hurt my heart to rewatch this. And uh it is incredibly problematic. It's uh Yeah. It was uh, a rough it was a rough watch. It's not so much that it is a really bad well no, it's a bad movie. It it hurt my heart to see a movie that I remember loving as a kid um be this bad. Mm. And uh it was pretty bad. I gave it a two out of nostalgia and a couple interesting moments. Ooh, that that sounds like the review of a one, honestly, but like with an extra bump for nostalgia. An extra bump for nostalgia. It had a couple things I liked. The special effects for a 1985 film were fun to watch. There's a couple things that I know the tr- the camera tricks they used to pull them off, but it's still a little impressive. A lot of practical stuff. That's what I enjoyed. We love a good practical. I'm here. such a fan of practical, and yeah, it's uh, it, w- it, w- it hurt my heart. Two out of five. Obviously, if I'm giving something two out of five, there's no reason for you to watch this. I, the only reason I would ever want to watch this with you is to watch see how uncomfortable you get, because yeah. this movie is. I'm already uncomfortable. This movie, this my friend, is problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The... There is a whole scene. <laughs> The, the, they're high school kids. Yeah. And like the movie says, they literally create a woman from their computer program. And she comes to life and she has these magic powers. And she... This 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 is going to sound problematic, but trust me, in the movie, it's not as bad as it sounds. But she basically will do whatever... She will do whatever they say. Ooh. Granted, they don't take advantage of that in the way that you think they would. Okay. I know. They basically use her to try and make themselves cooler. They don't use her. Do you know what I mean? But they, like, use her. They use her abilities. They don't use her. Gotcha. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like, she is drop-dead gorgeous, Mm -hmm. but they never – they're never like, we're going to fucking – get on your hands and knees. We're going to fucking tag team you. (laughs) They never – a very different movie from your childhood. Yes. So what they – She's never the, – the, the one thing I'll give this movie – I can't believe I'm spending this much time on it. But the, the one thing I'll give <laughs> this – The thing about this movie is that it doesn't venture into rape. <laughs> it, it doesn't venture into rape. Sadly, that 
is Ugh. something I'm going to be discussing in a movie later on. Oh. Yeah. We'll get there. Apparently, that's a high bar for the movies this week. Okay, so... The one thing I'll give this movie is that while she was made by these two nerds, they never take advantage of the powers that she has. Mm -hmm. They just kind of bumble their way through things. She does things to fuck things up in the hopes that they will rise to the occasion. That's where the comedy in this kind of comes from. But the, the big problematic scene, which is, again, at the time, not it wasn't seen as problematic. But you watch it now and you're like, ouch. What it is, she takes them to a, uh, to a nightclub. They are high school students. So, and she makes them fake ID. She can literally do anything. She's literally omnipotent, basically. She can basically create things out of thin air. So she makes them these fake IDs and they get into this nightclub. They get drunk and Anthony Michael Hall becomes friends with a group of older black men and starts acting black. Oh, no. That's so uncomfortable. Yeah. And I he, don't like that. He's basically almost – he's basically doing an Eddie Murphy impersonation. That is – So he's talking in like I, – I hate to say it in this – but like that high-pitched mm -hmm. voice that Eddie Murphy has. Mm -hmm. He's doing that. He's wearing like a pimp hat that he's taken off one of the other characters. He's wearing glasses, trying to be cool. It is – uncomfortable <laughs> uh, oh, i'm receding into my chair just hearing yeah. this yeah so it's it's i can't believe i'm saying this was how weird science yeah. two out of five i'm really i am honest i'm honestly really glad really really glad i'm glad that i rewatched it because my memories of it i don't remember that scene at all i mostly remember the big party at the end and uh, but there are a couple, couple laugh out loud moments and some fun stuff in here, and that's why I got a two, not a one. I didn't hate this movie. Yeah, I didn't hate it. No. I was just like, Ooh, this did not age well. This is a slam dunk expired milk award winner if it was <laughs> if it was eligible. Yeah. Okay, so that's weird science. Two out of five. Next up, I watched a uh, a movie, a foreign film a Danish film starring uh, Mads Mikkelsen. It's called Riders of Justice. Uh, Marcus goes home to his teenage daughter, Matilda, when his wife dies in a tragic train accident. It seems like an accident until a mathematics geek, who is also a fellow passenger on the train, and his two colleagues show up. Uh, that's a horrible plot. Basically what this movie is, Mads Mikkelsen is this career... Uh, military guy and there is an accident on a train which kills his wife this mathematician who was on that train survived he gave up his seat to Mads Mikkelsen's wife and she died because of that because in that where he was sitting and she took a seat right the accident kind of occurs there he survives the wife dies they start to realize this mathematics geek, he start, he'd noticed a couple things on the train before the accident happened. He noticed that this was not an accident at all. I am not spoiling this. This is part of the movie. There was This train accident was an assassination of somebody that was on that train. And so this mathematics geek, this other 
nerd. I can't remember what his specialty is. And then this complete might be hands down the most socially awkward character I've ever seen on screen. So these three guys show up to tell Mads Mikkelsen that they don't believe that this was an accident. And then the four of them team up to uncover the truth and extract revenge for those responsible. This is both a action and a comedy. It's a Danish film. It's made um, it's made by the same guy that did um, first round. Another round? Another round. Another oh, round. Just all have seen. Sam, it's an 81 Metascore. Oh, wow. This movie's really fucking good. Okay. It is called Riders of Justice. Sam, if you went to the movies, which you did, mm-hmm. if you bought that... I did. As a matter of fact, a, I have you, a free digital rental. Then yeah. It is available on Cineplex. Let's do it. This movie is spectacular. I think this is a movie that you would thoroughly enjoy, and I think it's one that you should try to watch as soon as you can because I I, I, I think this is a kind of movie that's right up your alley as well as another round. <laughs> yeah, well, fuck. That's been like tippy-top of my watch list for a bit now. I just haven't had time to watch movies other than what we watch um, particularly, but yeah. Uh, flat out right now, if... Riders of Justice or Another Round ever hit one of the major streamers, it'll be right. It'll be f- skyrocketing to the top for the Manny Movie Club. Right. This these this movie, Riders of Justice, is so thoroughly entertaining. It has a couple action scenes that are okay. The <clears throat> I'm not going to reveal that here. I'm not going to reveal that here. This movie is well worth a watch. Easy four out of five for me. Hmm. Riders I almost of- thought you were going five territory there. No. No, there's... When you watch it, you'll see why it doesn't get a five. Ooh, okay. Okay. I, that's not a... I'm, it, it's nothing bad about the film. They just make some choices that are hard for me to give it a five. Okay, understood. Riders of Justice, easy four out of five. Anybody listening out there, you want a really good movie, but again... Warning, I don't have to give this warning to Sam because I know he doesn't have a problem with it. But this is a foreign film, so there's, it's it's subtitled the whole way through. Mm-hmm. I know you don't have a problem with that. But, I do not. But for some people, they do, so I'm giving you that heads up now in case they end up using their free rental. Especially it. for my boy Mads. I'm, I'm, a, I'm mad about Mads. Yeah. Big fan of that guy. You're going to like him in this. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is a movie I, want to, I watched uh, over the weekend. It's a... Disney sports movie that I have loved. Every time I watch it, it makes me happy. At time, there's been I seen I've probably seen this movie about four or five times, and I would say, let let's let's make it easy. I've seen this movie five times. We'll say, I would say at least three of the times I've cried, and that's Secretariat. Uh, Penny Chenery Tweedy and colleagues guide her long shot but precocious stallion to set in 1973 the unbeaten record for winning the Triple Crown. This is the true story of what many people consider the greatest horse of all time in Secretariat. This movie is fun. It's an easy watch. It stars Diane Lane, who I have always loved. It also stars John Malkovich, who 
probably the weakest part of the movie. Oh no! He, he's playing. He's supposed to be playing this French Canadian horse trainer. God, when will when will Hollywood <laughs> learn that you just don't give John Malkovich an accent in a movie? But it does also star a woman that I know you like. And I can never remember the precursor to her name, so I'll just tell her name. Oh, I already... <laughs> <laughs> it is esteemed character actress yes. and fugitive from the law, Margot Martindale. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I can't remember that every time. No, that's, I, that's, I do... that's fine. I definitely can, because I've seen BoJack Horseman a thousand times. Yes. So I'm glad. I'm glad that you knew exactly yeah. what I was talking about. <laughs> as soon as you were like, <laughs> I can't remember the preamble to her name, I'm like, oh, Margot Mindale. Um, But the movie's it's really fun. It's really easy to watch. It's actually, it's, it's two hours long. I can't believe it's that long. It kind of flies by. I'm kind of a sucker well, I shouldn't say I'm a sucker for horse movies because I like this and Secretariat. <laughs> I don't, or sorry, this I and like this, Biscuit, yeah. this and Sea Biscuit. Sea Biscuit's good. I really like it. If if someone likes Sea Biscuit, they're gonna like Secretariat. Mm. Um, this movie's not quite at the skill level and seriousness of Sea Biscuit. This movie's just so much, so much fun and lighthearted, and it's shot really, really well. I really like this movie. If you're looking for something light and enjoyable, I don't think you can get anything wrong with Secretariat. I give Secretariat a four to five. Cool. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Um, Secretariat does have one more connection to BoJack Horseman, which I'm going to say. Okay, since hold on. Am I, oh, well, I get it? No, probably no, not. I mean, no, just, I was just going to say that since BoJack Horseman takes place in a world where animals are anthropomorphic, that is, they walk and talk like humans, Secretariat is a real person. Oh, <laughs> and, uh And is an idol of Bojack's. It's Bojack's dream to play Secretariat in a movie. <laughs> and uh, Secretariat is a real person voiced by John Krasinski. <laughs> nice. <Yeah. laughs> anyway. That's okay. That. Uh, yeah, Secretariat, big fan of that movie. Okay. Next up, I decided to tackle a movie I'd never seen. It's an old gangster film called Once Upon a Time in America. It's from 1984. Uh, former Prohibition-era Jewish gangster returns to the Lower East Side of Manhattan over 30 years later, where he once again must confront the ghosts and regrets of his old life. Uh, it stars Robert De Niro, James Wood, and Elizabeth McGovern. It is directed by Sergio Leone of uh, Spaghetti Western fame. Indeed. This movie's three hours and 49 minutes. Holy shit. Yes. This movie could easily be told in under two hours, Sam. I am not even joking. This movie lingers and lingers and tells parts of the story that do not need to be told. It's almost like the studio gave Sergio Leone some money and said, do what you want, make it as long as you want, we don't give a fuck. And he's like, I'm not cutting a thing. <laughs> I'm keeping every part of this movie in there. And Sam, it was rough to sit through. Mere moments ago, I mentioned that there was some rape to be discussed. Oh boy, are we there? Sam, this movie centers on Robert De Niro. He is the protagonist of the film. I understand this is a movie about gangsters. I'm going to say something that's, when I know when I say it out loud, is pretty fucking weird, but it's kind of the way I, I'm not going to lie, it's the way I feel. I have no problem 
sympathizing with characters that murder people. I cheered for the gangsters and Goodfellas. Mm -hmm. Robert De Niro, our protagonist of this film, rapes two women. Two? Two. He has two rape scenes in this film. Oh, good. And... In a flashback scene when he is a boy, he sexually assaults a woman as well. Oh, that's good. And this is the person I'm supposed to be cheering on. Mm-hmm. He is hard to root for. Ooh. The second rape scene is far too long. It is uncomfortable to watch and unforgiving in the way that it is shot. Elizabeth, is that, is it Elizabeth McGovern? Um, yeah, it is Elizabeth McGovern. She is the victim of the rape. Does the movie claim to redeem him? Does, like, in in the plot of the movie, is is the movie patting itself on the back at the end? She's like, yeah, but he's had a really tough life, and he's a good guy at heart. No. Is that sort of the, okay. No. No. Um... Because three hours and fifty minutes, you would think, you would think one or both of those rapes would be the first thing for the studio to go. We like a movie about regrets and about the ghosts of one's past. Maybe we can leave this guy in redeemable territory. I don't think what you said, by the way, about like being able to sympathize with murderers in movies but not rapists. I don't think that's controversial at all. I know. For the record, I I I truly believe that it's fucked up as this. I, I, it almost feel to me, it almost feels like rape is worse than murder. Hmm. It really does because you leave this person fucked up for the rest of their life. Yeah. Completely and utterly fucked up. And it takes a very strong person mm-hmm. to be able to work through that. Yeah. And you know what? I think one of the reasons like, I don't really want to dive into this too much. I'm, I'm, I am in a sense happy to just leave it at okay. rape is generally worse than murder. I, I just also want to point out that murder in movies is often framed in a way, especially when it's for like a flawed, but redeemable character. Yeah. If somebody like that murders, it's usually framed in such a way that the murder had some kind of utility. Yes. And there's no possible way yes. you could ever frame a rape that way. Like, there's no nope. reasonable way you can ever frame nope. something like that. that there, way. I, and I hate to say this, but I, I'll, I I guess I'll have to. The first rape scene. So it does go in this order. It goes in just, this order. Just the phrase, the first rape scene is just horrible. The sexual assault scene where he's a young man and he sexually assaults a woman. Now, I am not con- obviously not condoning his actions. But the woman that he sexually assaults kind of wanted it to t- – she does. Trust okay. me. All right. Okay. Because she she is – she is um, – hmm, no, she is. She's the neighborhood whore. She Got literally it. tells him – she kind of teases him. He comes at her, starts kind of grabbing at her. She's not really fighting him off. Then she pushes him away. And she's like, if you want more, it'll cost you. Right. Gotcha. So he flat out like – grabs her ass, I think he grabs her boob, and I think he puts his hand between her legs, and she does not resist, not out of fear, because she lets him do it until to he's a, I would say he's probably at this point 12 to 14 years old. Then she pushes him away, and she's like, if you want more, then you have to pay for it. Oh, God. 
So he does sexually assault her, but she kind of let him do it gotcha. to build up his right. Three hours so, and fifty minutes of this, hey. That that's early. Okay. <laughs> the next rape scene, again, not condoning it, but the woman in that scene. This sounds. Dude, are we gonna go yeah, down we're this gonna, route? We're gonna go down there because I, I just want to say this. I'm not trying to save the character. I'm I'm trying to put you like this was hard to watch. Both the length of this movie, this rape scene is she is raped but did want it. Yes. She okay. she did want it. But she, still rape. It is still rape. Yeah. <laughs> because she he does rape her ag- against her will, mm-hmm. but she's also you can tell that she's wanting him to do that. Right. Okay. So it's kind of like consensual, non-consensual kind of shit. Okay. It's fucked up. The last, the rape, the last rape scene, it's full on rape and fucking hard to watch. Okay. Full on. The other thing I wanted to point out is in the flashback scenes, one of the characters, the young actress looked incredibly familiar. And I was like, fuck who i'm like that looks just like who it is and so i had to look it up and it's a young jennifer Connolly. wow now sadly not sadly it's me this is gonna be very mean for me to say but i've already talked about rape so jennifer Connolly, a young jennifer Connolly. we know what she looks like when she grows up uh-huh. because this movie is now what are we 34 years old 37 years old 36 years old 36 36. 1984 is what I have here. That's 37 years ago. 37. Yeah, 37 years 37. ago. 37. Is that including me? Nice. <laughs> so we know what Jennifer Connelly looks like when she grows up. Now, mm. obviously, in 1984, 1984, they didn't know. So in the movie, she grows up to become Elizabeth McGovern, mm. who is nowhere near as hot as Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I just want to point that out. <laughs> I just wanted to throw Elizabeth McGovern under the bus because she had to do a rape scene and isn't as hot as Jennifer Connelly. I gotta say, Manny, there are many times on this podcast where we gracefully tiptoe around landmines of sensitive <laughs> social issues. I don't think this was one of those times. No. <laughs> uh, oh, once man. upon a time in America, I'm giving it a three. Oh. Only because it is a well-crafted film. Mm enjoyment factor easy to i will never rewatch this the rape scenes alone make me not discomfort sheer discomfort but the fucking length this is not worth three i'm not even kidding sam i would love I, i might search out a shorter cut of this movie somebody somewhere with a, an editor must have been like, I can cut this movie down to two hours and tell a vel- very well-crafted story. Well, when I was looking it up on Wikipedia earlier, uh, the U.S. release was 139 minutes. That's two hours, 19. 219? That's I'd the be US release. super interested in seeing that cut. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, it was three, 349. 349. Uh, That's the, 229. The 2014 extended director's cut is Four hours and ten minutes. So an extra twenty minutes. Yeah, they they saw that cut that you just watched, and they're like, "Yeah, but was there enough?" I don't know what the fuck more they could add in there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I was I won't lie. Going in, I was super excited. Seventy five Metascore. 
De Niro, James Woods in the 80s. I was excited. Hmm. No. Sam, even though I gave it a three, don't watch this movie. Yeah, I'm not going to. The last movie I watched and the last movie I want to talk about is a movie I fucking love. I fucking love this movie. It is from 1989. It's called Lean on Me, starring Morgan Freeman. The dedicated but tyrannical Joe Clark is appointed the principal of a decaying inner city school he is determined to improve by any and all means. This is based on a true story. According to Joe Clark himself, who I think I I think I just read, I think he only passed away like within the last couple years. Mm. Um, Joe Clark himself stated this movie is about 95% accurate. This is the movie that completely solidified my love for Morgan Freeman. I saw this back in uh, probably about 1990 when this movie hit home video. This movie is, for me, incredibly powerful. I cry usually twice, once or twice every time I watch this movie. He is absolutely mesmerizing on screen. I personally would probably put this top three Morgan Freeman performances. Whoa. So, Shawshank 7, Lean On Me? Could be. Wow. I think I think him not getting a Best Actor nomination for here is criminal. Who would have been up that year? 1989, didn't he get nominated for Might have been nominated Driving Miss Daisy? Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. So, yeah, he would have gotten... Oh, never mind. Oh, ouch. Ooh, wow, it's a good year. Okay, so Daniel Day-Lewis wins for My Left Foot. Naturally. Great performance. Haven't seen it, actually. It's it's good. Shocking. I've I've seen a couple of scenes from it. Okay. Hmm. Uh, I haven't seen this, but most likely it's probably good. It's Kenneth Branagh and Henry V. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) We have Tom Cruise for Born on the Fourth of July. Haven't seen it. Heard it's great. Morgan Freeman for Driving Miss Daisy. And Robin Williams for Dead Poets Society. Oh. I would like to revisit Driving Miss Daisy, but I can tell you right now that I definitely think that his Lean on Me performance is better. Hmm. I think his performance in Lean on Me, like I said, is one of his best. I, lo- I love So you would take out Morgan Freeman and put in Morgan Freeman? Well, considering I've only seen three of them, I'm not taking out Daniel Day-Lewis. I would take out Robin Williams because that's a supporting role. Gotcha. He is not the fucking lead of yeah, that movie. Neil is the lead, in that movie. Is the lead of that yeah, movie. 100%. Of course, Robin Williams wasn't going to win anyways. If he went down to Best Supporting, because Best Supporting went to Denzel. For uh, if you get this without cheating, I'll be impressed. Denzel, nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, uh, supporting actor. Supporting actor. I, I. I don't even think you've heard of this movie. Probably not. I don't think so. It also stars Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Oh, good year for Morgan Freeman. Yeah. It's a movie called Glory. Yeah, don't know it. Phenomenal. Hmm. I'm getting chills just thinking about I know the scene where Denzel won the Oscar. So Denzel has two Oscars? Yeah. Yeah. He's one of the only six people to win a Best Actor and Supporting Actor. Right, we went through that the other day. Yes. Yeah. Did I get any of those? I don't know if I... I think I... I think I... I had to give some clues to get... There's some that obviously people didn't know. Yeah. 
but yeah. I honestly can't remember any off the top of my head. Uh, you though. got one because I gave you a clue. What was the clue you gave me? Uh, that we reviewed both of his Oscar wins on this podcast. Oh, uh, was it Kevin Spacey? Yeah. 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 Because it was uh, American Beauty and um, the one where he plays Verbal Kent, which yes. I can't remember. Usual you know, Suspects. Yeah, Usual Suspects. There yeah. you go. Yeah. So anyways, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of this movie. Uh it plays into a lot of things that I, I do love. I love movies about people getting recognized for the hard work they do. Like I, That's one of the reasons I cry at the fucking Oscars is those people getting recognized. Um, if you ever see this movie on streaming, Sam, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, Lean on Me is a four to five. Yeah, I've never even heard of this, I don't think. It's a pretty lesser known film. I bet you it probably didn't even make much money. I don't think it was a flop, though. Let me see. Uh... Oh, definitely a flop. Oh no, yeah. So it had a budget of ten million. Anything you basically have to make two and a half times your budget to be considered successful, and this made thirty-one. So yeah, a modest hit. Hmm. Not I shouldn't even say hit. It was it, it wasn't a, a wasn't a uh, a flop. But yeah, um, lean on me. Uh, love it. Can't wait. I'll I'll be watching it all the time, rest of my life. I fucking love that movie. That's what I've been watching, Sam. Cool. Uh, for me, I actually I was surprised at myself. I had three written down, and I realized uh, while we were in the midst of talking, uh, you were talking about Riders of Justice, and mm-hmm. I said I'm mad about Mads. And I was thinking to myself, I just watched something with Mads Mikkelsen in it. What was it again? And I realized I didn't have it written down because I watched Doctor Strange this week. Oh. <laughs> um, so I am. Are you in, still doing your MCU rewatch? Yeah, so we took a big hiatus because we were waiting for Faith to show up in Kamloops. Right. So we can continue, right? But we had already started a Pixar watch, so now we have this whole thing going on where we're watching all the Pixar movies and all the MCU movies all at once. It's a big clusterfuck, um, but we're most of the way through both now, I think. Yeah, Doctor Strange, you're getting close to the end. Towards the end, yeah. So we're, we're starting to get into some, into some nitty-gritty. I think we got Infinity War coming up, not next, but like soon. Yeah, I think the only thing you have left we have Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah, and then and then for some sh- reason there's one more. Uh, uh, Thor, oh, Thor, Ragnarok. Yeah, Thor. so we have Ragnarok next. But uh, yeah, we watched Doctor Strange, which I was glad to because uh, it was, I had only seen it uh, once in the theater, and naturally I just navigated away from the page. So fuck, I don't have the plot in front of me right now. Let me uh, let me see if I can pull this. It's up. about a guy who's magical. Yeah, that's the way you've seen it. <laughs> Uh, here we go. Uh, while on a journey of physical and spiritual he- he- healing, my goodness, good thing I pulled this up wow. so I can butcher it. While on a journey of physical and spiritual healing, nailed it. A brilliant neurosurgeon is drawn into the world of the mystic arts. So, saw this in the theaters. Remember being very impressed by uh, the visuals of yes. it because the MCU, in particular, in Phase One and Two. Uh, if it was underwhelming in one aspect, I think it was just kind of flat as far as the co- All the movies kind of started to look the same a mm-hmm. little bit. Just a little bit matted colors. All the characters racing towards a glowy thing at the end. It was. It started to look very similar. And Doctor Strange, while it, it did have a lot of those same uh, tropes and motifs, um, they did a really good job of going as psychedelic as possible. They just went... They just said, what if we went as balls-to-the-wall crazy as we wanted with 
buildings flipping on their side and psychedelic trips and uh, multicolor craziness for the finale. They just kind of did whatever they wanted for the visuals in this movie. It really paid off. A really visually interesting movie. I think uh, Doctor Stephen Strange is a very interesting character mm. in the movie. He goes on a great arc of not not really knowing what he wants. He thinks what he wants is greatness and to save people through being a surgeon, but not even really for saving people, more so for the glory unto himself. And it's much like many other movies in the MCU, a story of a man learning to think of the greater good over himself. Um, it's a great entry in that genre. I think Benedict Cumberbatch does a great job. I really like Tilda Swinton yet again, just being a really weird, mysterious uh, God, like leader so person. Good. She's really good at that. If Tilda Swinton ever wanted to actually lead a cult, I would think about joining. I agree. Because she's really good. Um, a company maybe less so. But <laughs> because, because of Michael Clayton. Because of Michael Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I God, love that, that movie. That moment of Michael Clayton, you're so fucked. That's oh, one of the greatest. That ending of Michael Clayton. The ending of Michael Clayton. <sighs> that movie, Michael Clayton. I fucking love that movie. Yeah, it's good. I'm going to have to revisit that again. I've only seen that movie twice, I think. Because once I watched it for the podcast, and then I recently went back to revisit it. Oh, oh, that's right. You did. I was so excited. It was awesome. Um, But yeah, yeah. Doctor Strange, I I had a great time with. Again, this time, I was, again, very impressed by the visuals. Uh, No spoilers for the ending of Doctor Strange, but I really thought the, the solution to the world ending problem was such a refreshing change of yes. pace. The the conclusion like the, every Marvel movie now has to end with like the city f- crumbling and the heroes just saving the day at the at the end and they went a completely different direction. They flipped it on its head with the whole city being destroyed at the end and it was it was a lot of fun the the ending of that movie. Agreed. So the the line Dormammu, I've come to bargain <laughs> is, is a really really good one. And one that rings through my head. Uh, you have anything you want to say about Doctor Strange? I love Doctor Strange. Yeah. Doctor Strange is one of the few films I think I have it as right below the top tier films that was worth seeing in 3D. Mm. Yes. Because yeah. I, th- I always say there's three, but now I can only think of two. And that's Life of Pi and Avatar. Mm. I always think that there's three. Maybe Doctor Strange is the third. Maybe. Other than that, like... It mu- that must be the third because there's no other film I've seen in 3D that was worth it. Hmm. Everything else, I'm like, oh, this is fucking brutal. Why am I paying extra to watch this in 3D? That's what I hate about the Cineplex is the best theater they put 3D in there so I, they can charge me more when they already charge me more for going in that theater as it is. Yeah, so you're paying like 20 bucks plus. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. What I did for Shang-Chi. Mm-hmm. Did not need to be in 3D. Mm-mm. I was fucking angry. Whatever. I didn't watch it in 3D, but we'll get there. Whatever. Uh, yeah, I gave Doctor Strange a four. Yeah, that's an easy four. Yeah, big fan of that. Um, and then on to my other rewatch. Uh, so going through the Pixar movies, we have landed on Toy Story three. Holy fuck balls! The toys are mistakenly oh, I didn't we're gonna cry. <laughs> the toys are mistakenly delivered to a daycare center instead of the attic right before Andy leaves for college, and it's up to Woody to convince the other toys that they weren't abandoned and return home. And to return home, excuse me. Um. So, over the years on the podcast, I've stated many a time that my main problem with Toy Story 3 is that it's primarily a rehash of everything that made Toy Story 2 great. People tend to underrate Toy Story 2 and overrate Toy Story 3 because they hit a lot of the same points, uh, like the opening scene being a uh, an unannounced, fantastical... Um, 
almost a dreamlike sequence, like a side adventure. You remember the opening to Toy Story 3 is them doing the train rescue. It's like one of Andy's play sequences. Mm -hmm. uh, Toy Story 2, it's uh, Rex playing the Zerg game mm -hmm. uh, with Buzz Lightyear. And like each point from then on, you go beat by beat. It's almost the same thing. The villain in both movies is somebody who um, rejects the love of a single owner and, uh, and wants to... Uh, needs Woody to remain with him in order to uh, stay fulfilled in some way. Like there, there's, there's a lot of beats that hit the same. So I've maintained that complaint for many years, but I gotta say this time around, those beats hit pretty fucking hard in Toy Story 3 too. I did just watch Toy Story 2 as well last week, I believe. And I'm feeling some conflicting emotions because I'm not going to go ahead and say I was wrong. I still love Toy Story 2 but it's closer than I thought it was. It's a lot closer than I thought it was because there's a couple of moments in Toy Story 3. I think people love to point to the moment on the, I don't know what it is, a conveyor belt or, um, you know, in the, the incinerator. Yeah, in the incinerator. People point to that as like the wow scene. And that is the iconic moment in the movie. Like if you think of one moment from this movie, that is visually the one that sticks in your head. But if you want to talk about Pixar tearjerker moments, it's the scene following that on the lawn between Andy and Bonnie. You're uh, going to make me fucking cry. The scene on the lawn, genuinely, there's there's a moment of realization where Andy reaches into the box and... <laughs> and Fuck you. <laughs> and yes, I am harping on this a little more because I want to see Manny cry, as always. But that scene is so emotional. And that when people talk about Pixar tearjerker moments, that is the one that... Al that is one of the ones that always comes to mind for me. Um... If I am comparing this to Toy Story 2, I think those moments are not only a little bit better, but a lot better than the tearjerker moment in Toy Story 2, which is still pretty good. It's the when she loved me moment with Jesse. That's that's a pretty good one, but whew, Toy Story 3 is Toy Story 3. Um, it does get a 5. I love this movie. I love Toy Story 2 as well. Um, Manny, we've have we talked about the draft at all on air? No. That we haven't? No. Okay, so we're sort of playing this game with the group where we're trying to place the Pixar movies in order through a draft. So, like, I had the first pick, so I got to choose the worst Pixar movie, so I picked Cars 2, and we sort of, like, went up from there. And uh, we are about halfway through right now. I think, as of recording, the number, we're at, we're at 12. the number 12 movie has been submitted. Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're most of the way through, and it's been a we're lot halfway, of fun. We're halfway through. It's been very dramatic, yeah. It has been. It's been very dramatic so far. T-Bone has submitted a number of controversial picks, to say the least. And by controversial, I mean incorrect. But, <laughs> but, but that's fine. And I'm not bitter about it. I know. And I haven't called him out for it many times in the group. But, uh, yeah, we've yet to get to the tier where uh, movies like Toy Story 3 reside. We're about to. We're, we're about to. We're, we're about to break into that territory, and I'm very curious to see where it goes from here. Me uh, too. Uh, so, uh, yeah, draft has been fun. We'll keep you updated on that if, if any anything interesting happens. Uh, T-Bone fucking getting inside out at, like, number 22 of 24. No, it, uh, he... Sorry, was it 19? It's at 19. 19, because he originally In picked it at 22. Somebody <laughs> vetoed it. Then he picked it again at 19, which is bullshit. Um, yeah, so for those of you wondering, according to this draft, Inside Out is the 19th best Pixar which film. Which is just wrong. <laughs> it's just not true. <laughs> it's significantly higher. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay it's below movies like uh is it below the good dinosaur uh hold on give me 
Give me so was, one quick second hold on, here. It was Cars 2. I think I put Brave at 23, and I don't feel any regrets about that. Uh, Pixar draft. Uh, let's see. Inside Out is below Cars. Onward, Monsters University, <laughs> Finding Dory, and Luca. That is just <laughs> incorrect. That is incorrect. <laughs> it's so frustrating. So, yeah, that is what we're dealing with on the side here. You, we have a lot, and by we I mean you, have a lot of movie projects on the go right now. Like Movies have consumed your life, and I know that's probably the wrong verb to use because you are very happy about it, I'm sure. As you should be. But man, I don't know how you have time for anything else. You have like so many movie projects on the go right now. You have this podcast. You have the movie draft. Uh, there's the movie, Manny Movie Club as well. Uh, and you're like the commissioner and or moderator of all these different things. You, yeah. are, you are a busy man. I love it. And you have a daughter. And I have a daughter. Yeah. I, I don't... F- <sighs> it's just fun. It's fun for me. Mm. It's fun for me to make games for people to play for us to just discuss movies um you've stated it and rachel both stated that they've really been enjoying as frustrating as the movie draft game has been Um, oh yeah it's been a ton of fun i'm i'm glad and that just makes me happy it makes me glad i don't uh my only worry was that it wouldn't be fun or be too complicated for people or the rules wouldn't have been followed. Mm. And at that point, I was like, if things weren't going to be done properly, I, w- I would have just walked away. Mm. I've been like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, okay. I'm not willing to fight and do all this. But but everyone understood the game and played. I hate to, I don't I was going to say properly, but they they took it seriously. They, they took it seriously. Yeah. And that's that's all I wanted. Not yeah. super, but. Didn't make a didn't make a mockery of it because no. that would have hurt. I, well, I won't lie. Well, that one is making a mockery of it, but, <laughs> but he thinks he's playing it the right way. <laughs> um, but yeah, to flip back, uh, Toy Story three. Uh, I'm glad that you. Um, well, I knew that you were going to revisit revisit because you're doing the Pixar rewatch, anyways. <clears throat> I knew that was going to happen. Mm. Uh, I'm glad that your esteem of it has grown little. I know it won't most likely probably won't pass Toy Story 2, mm-hmm. but I'm glad that it's closed the gap. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't want to set this up to sound like uh, I didn't already think Toy Story 3 was an excellent film. Mm-hmm. I, I, of course, knew that to be Oh, yes, case. yes, yes. And yes. I, I don't yeah. think you were implying that. No, just, no, 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 no. I, I grew up on Toy Story 2 is the thing. It's always been near and dear to me. And I've never felt like Toy Story 3 improved on enough. It just hit a lot of the same beats and didn't change all that much but uh this time around yeah the, in particular that scene i just referenced with andy and bonnie just just cut right to my core just hit me right in there so it, uh, when when you were talking about the iconic scenes in toy story 3 a lot of people do think of the incinerator and that mm-hmm. one is very powerful mm-hmm. but for me the andy and bonnie scene at the end is for me that's my iconic moment for me that is m- most likely my iconic moment of pixar yeah it's 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 that scene why toy story 3 is so high on my list yeah i think most people would probably if you're choosing one like iconic pixar scene and that movie or that uh, word is sort of objective but i think most people would pick the first scene from up which is kind of 
strange mm-hmm. because that is not like the movie itself is not super high in my opinion in the in the Pixar listing. I guess we'll find out in the draft. I think I would have already drafted it. Yeah, yeah, I would have. It yeah. would have already, I guess we, already been played in we my... Can, we can probably talk about this freely because by the time this comes to air... I was going to say, ma- the I game ma- might even be over. The game will probably be over. At the very least, it'll probably be picked. But I don't have Up that much higher. I think Up is a great movie, as are all the movies that we're talking about in the, the middle. The, of, the like, ones left? Like, I think Toy Story 4 was just picked. At just like, picked. At, like, number 12? 13. 13? And yeah. it's a great fucking movie. Like, that's an awesome movie. Um, so we're already getting into some really quality stuff and the decisions are going to get hard, but up, I don't have too much higher. Uh, I think the opening scene is great. And I have stated before on the show, even though the opening silent, like six minutes of up are super iconic and great. My favorite scene is when he opens the memories book, when he's, when he opens the stuff I'm going to do section Mm -hmm. that. Just waterworks instantaneously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already just like tearing up over here. Yeah, instant waterworks when that happens. But uh, yeah, I think most people would say, um, I-, I don't know. I think when you talk about Pixar, you always think about the cry scene. Like there's always a scene in a Pixar movie that can easily make a grown man melt. Mm-hmm. Um, for most of them. For most of them, yeah. For most, like, of the, most of the good ones. Anyway. Yeah, I, like I can't think of like I like Ratatouille. I think is brilliant, but mm-hmm. I can't think of a, an emotional scene in Ratatouille. Yeah, there there is an emotional scene in it, but not like in a make you cry sort of way. Like I experience a strange sort of emotion when I hear uh, like I just I did just rewatch Ratatouille mm-hmm. when you hear Anton Ego's review. Yep. of the restaurant. I don't know what the emotion is that I feel, but I feel it for sure. Uh, which is probably the goal with Pixar. But his review, I don't know if it's pride or relief or something. There's just something swells inside me. Like gratitude, maybe? Yep. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe. not Nothing tear-inducing, but an emotion is there. Yeah. An emotion is there. Anyway, uh, Toy Story 3 gets a 5 from me. I'm pretty sure it's a 5 from you. Oh, yeah. Uh, next up... Uh, I hope you didn't go on my letterbox this week because I'm really excited to tell you that I rewatched this movie. Um, it's one you and I have reviewed, uh, episode 101, yesterday. <gasps> you watched it? Yeah, I watched it yesterday again. Emma and I were just looking for something light and uh, wanted to watch oh, something fun. And how could just... you pick anything? That movie's so fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those unacquainted, a struggling musician realizes he's the only person on earth who can remember the Beatles after waking up in an alternate timeline where they never existed. So this is one Mandy and I had a lot of fun talking about back in episode 101, I believe. Um, back hmm. in, I want to say, first half of 2020, pre-pandemic? Uh, yeah. Something like that? Would have been late April. Late April? Mid to late April, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, we, had a, we had a great time talking about this. It's directed by Danny Boyle, uh, starring Himesh Patel, Lily James... Uh, it's a sort of rom-com fantasy musical, and just like the description says, it's about a guy who realizes he gets into some sort of accident, and there's this global power outage where it kind of appears that nothing really happened, and it's never explained. I'm kind of happy that it's never explained. Me too. Um, it's not important. But when he wakes up, he obviously doesn't find out right away. But over interactions with his friends where he references Beatles songs, which happens because he's a musician and a Beatles fan, he slowly realizes that these people aren't 
getting the references that he's making. And he starts doing some digging and does some Googling, and he realizes that the Beatles just don't exist. They just stopped existing after this power outage. And I like how... I'm, I'm not going to spoil the specifics, but I like how it's not just the Beatles. There's, yes. a, few, there's a few other <laughs> things, like more minor things in the background that have also disappeared, and that's good for a couple of really good comedic moments. Yes. But this guy decides, Jack, he's just going to... He, he's a struggling musician, and he just decides, you know what? I'm going to give this thing one last shot, and I'm just going to pretend I wrote all these songs. <laughs> I remember all of them, so I'm, I'm just going to say that I wrote them. And... I like that the movie doesn't really pass judgment on him for that decision. Like, he pays the consequences of that action, for sure. But the movie isn't like, can you believe this guy would do it? Good thing he learned his lesson about being honest and about being humble. It's like, (sighs) no, he probably did what almost anyone else would do, really. (laughs) If I woke up one day and discovered that the world had forgotten the Beatles and I had all of them in my mind like an encyclopedia... Yeah, I'd probably make a buck. if <laughs> Fucking right. I mean, if I was half as talented as John Lennon and Paul McCartney as far as performing. Um, but yesterday was so much fun when Ugh. we talked about it. There are aspects of the execution that kind of fall a little bit flat. Are you talking about the romantic aspects? Yeah, the romantic, uh, the romantic aspects of it, the the uh, implied romance between Himesh Patel and Lily James. I call it an implied romance just because... There's no chemistry there. Yeah, I just don't really... We're sort of told that they really like each other a lot, and that's sort of the extent of their chemistry. Not quite. I... We're... There's implications that she likes him. Yes, but we don't really get the reverse. No, we don't. Yeah. And I get the feeling that if he did have feelings for her, like, something would have happened here pretty long ago. Yes. That's the feeling I sort of get watching them. So, I don't know if I'm super in love with their chemistry. I think Ed Sheeran does a really good oh, job in the movie. Ed Sheeran has a couple of scenes. amazing. He's really, really funny. Um, My th- favorite scene has him. Are you talking about uh, Hey Dude? No. <laughs> or uh, Long and Winding Road? Yes. Yeah, okay. The, the song battle. Yeah, the, the song writing battle. battle. That, that scene is powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry. Is it is it Amish Patel? Uh, Himesh. Himesh. Himesh Patel. In that scene when he sings the Long and Winding Road, just playing the piano, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful rendition. It's acted so powerfully, and Ed Sheeran's reaction listening to it and after it is superb. Mm-hmm. I think I had that listed as my favorite scene. I think if I too. if I didn't, I don't know what the fuck else I picked. There, there's a couple of other really good scenes in this movie, especially. I think most of the best scenes in this movie are people hearing the songs of the Beatles for the first time. Yeah, the first half of this movie is yeah. great. So the first time that Jack plays Yesterday, before he even realizes that people don't know who the Beatles are, he plays Yesterday for his friends to like christen a new guitar, and they're all <laughs> blown the fuck away. <laughs> it's no Coldplay. Yeah, yeah, it's not cold. It's no, not the greatest song ever written. It's not um. Oh, what, it's oh, not. Oh, it's that Cold... Coldplay song. Yeah, fuck, I can't remember the name of it. God damn it! It's not any of the Coldplay songs that I like. It's, oh, it's not uh, "Fix You." Fix, fix You. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's no "Fix You." Yeah, it's not the greatest song. It's not "Fix You." Um, so that scene's really good, and the scene where he plays "Let It Be" for his parents, oh. and he's expect. So he's just come off playing yesterday for his friends, where they're floored. They're fucking 
floored by how good this song is and then he's like oh i'm gonna play let it be for my parents and hopefully have the same reaction and they just are so unimpressed by the exact same thing (sighs) number number of really good scenes i love that movie something that kind of occurred to me that's not really a problem for the movie but something maybe just worth exploring or pointing out the movie does kind of assume off the bat that the only reason famous people are famous and normal people are not is because of talent. Like it sort of makes that assumption. Mm. Like if anybody had the songs of the Beatles for the first time, they would instantly become famous. I don't know if I necessarily buy that. I think it increases your odds. I think, I think it makes more likely, but like, I think there, there are tons of talented musicians. I mean, even in our city here, but really just all over the world who just never make it just because, they don't have the connections or they don't have the big break. Or, yeah, of course. Like the second Jack gets the songs of the Beatles in his hands, he's just like within, it feels like a month maybe, or within a very short time frame. He is instantly not only a star, but the biggest star who has ever existed on the planet. And I, I don't know if I buy that premise. And that's something I actually didn't realize when we talked about it, I don't mm-hmm. think. But as I was watching this time, I was like, I don't think... I mean, there's a lot about the movie that wouldn't happen. It's a fantasy movie. It's not exactly a problem, but just something that occurred to me is, uh, yeah, I don't, I think the movie brushes past that fact, maybe. I guess because it kind of needs to. Can I actually disagree with that? Sure, yeah. Okay. I think uh, it touches on what you said, is Mm -hmm. that there are people with talent, Mm -hmm. but they need to catch a break. Yeah. And that's that's shown in the movie because he's playing all those songs in the coffee shops and nobody's reacting to them. Mm-hmm. It's not until he catches a break and is able to record it in the studio with that studio right by the train tracks mm-hmm. and it gets played. Um, he gets that time on that show where Ed Sheeran discovers him. Right. Then he gets well known. He goes on tour with Ed Sheeran and that's where he starts to explode. It's, it's not, be- it's not just because he has the Beatles songs. It's mm-hmm. cause he catches the break. Yeah. And he gets discovered by Ed Sheeran. Yes. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, there's one other thing I wanted to point out. I just want to find the name of the person. Why can't I find this person? Um, his his man is man. Kate McKinnon. Yes. Horrible. Worst part of the movie. Worst part. Of, that's exactly what I was. She going is to in say. a different movie than everybody else. Yeah. She is making a very crucial mistake, in my opinion. I think I pointed this out in our episode. She thinks, or at least the writers of her character think, that being mean is the same thing as being funny. Yes. And it's so not. Nope. She thinks, or or the writers think, that just insulting Jack's appearance over and over again is just the same thing as being funny. But, like, it's so not. And it's it's such a one-note character, and it's so not charming. I just, and like you said, her, her performance isn't necessarily bad. It's just a, belongs in a completely different movie. Yeah. This movie is so charming and sweet and lighthearted and then she's just so fucking negative and like I just I'm not I'm on board with the vibes she gives out in this movie. I just cut her. Totally. Cut her entirely. Go ahead. The first time I watched yesterday with you, I gave it a 3 with the caveat that I could probably update it to a 4 on rewatch. 
it was again close. I won't lie, because there were some things I didn't like about it, in particular Kate McKinnon. But I think I can update it to a four. It's a very sweet, charming movie, full of heart. And it only has, like, low 50s Metascore. I can't... I had it in front of me a second ago. Let's see. Uh, 55. Ah, fuck it's a, that. It's a good movie. Yeah. It's a, if anybody wants just, like, a cute rom-com, or if you're a fan of the Beatles... If you're a fan of the Beatles, this is a must-watch. Yeah, if you're a fan of the Beatles, like... This should literally go to the top of your... If you are a fan of the Beatles, this should go to the top of your watch list. Movies with Beatles soundtracks, like... Or movies that revolve around the Beatles soundtracks that come to mind are this, Yesterday, and Across the Universe. And I think they have relatively similar metascores. Across the Universe might be a little, little tiny bit lower. Uh, This movie is infinitely better than Across the Universe. Like, miles and miles and miles better. This is to Beatles fans Mm -hmm. as Galaxy Quest is to Star Trek fans. Yeah, that's good. That's good. If you, like, I cannot say it enough. If you like the Beatles, Mm -hmm. you should be watching yesterday, today. Nice. (laughs) Uh, There is one scene. And speaking of Pixar crying, there is is an emotional moment in yesterday uh, on the beach. (gasps) Yes. Yeah. Good that time. moment, basically rehashing the entire episode at this point. If you want to hear for, full thoughts, we did go, I think, more depth than this, I think. <laughs> uh, there is a moment on a beach that could have been a complete misfire. Yes. It really... <laughs> we're almost saying everything verbatim right now. When I, when, I knew, when I realized what they were doing on this beach, I thought, wow, they better treat this with some tact. They, they better fucking treat this with some respect. And it almost brought me to tears with joy and gratitude and just all of the positive emotions. It was such a well done scene. It's one of the best scenes. I think that was my pick for my favorite scene in the movie. Interesting. Yeah. I think it might've been. Yeah. Should listen back. I know that the song battles gotta be my pick. I fucking love that scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love this movie. So yesterday's a four for me and I think a four for you as well. Yeah. Uh, Uh, just one quick thing before you move off of yesterday. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to just try and decide if it's a spoiler or not. Let me just say this: in the scene, in the scene that you and I both enjoyed, where he sings yesterday for the first time, mm-hmm. and the character Carol, she's the one that makes the Coldplay joke, which is <laughs> so perfectly timed. It, uh, it, it's, <laughs> I fucking love that line. She's gonna show up in an MCU uh, show. She's in one of the shows. Oh, okay. I knew I recognized her. When she appeared in this show, mm-hmm. I, I won't reveal which one because it, it's not that big of a spoiler, but whatever. I'm like, I fucking know her. So I had to look her up and I was so excited to see that she was this girl mm. from yesterday. She is fantastic. When you find, are you guys are going to watch the shows after you're done? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's the whole, I think that was the whole reason we started it is because one of the ones a long time ago, it might have even been like Falcon and Winter Soldier or something like that was coming out and we were like, oh, well, we should just make sure we've watched all the MCU movies before we do that. And that was half a year ago now. Delightful. Yeah. Yeah. So she's in one of the MCU shows and she is a really good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Last one I want to talk about was uh, this week's selection for the Manny oh, Movie Club. shit. <laughs> selected by one manny manual uh manny do you want to introduce it or no i don't have it up so okay for sure uh hard candy from 2005 Haley's a smart charming teenage girl jeff's a handsome smooth fashion photographer an internet chat a coffee shop meetup 
an impromptu fashion shoot back at Jeff's place. Jeff thinks it's his lucky night. He's in for a surprise. Wow, that's the plot. <laughs> that's the synopsis. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Sam, what did you think of Hard Candy? I was so we were just, we were just talking about Once Upon a Time in America for probably longer than what was deserved. Yes, and your discomfort through that movie <laughs> was was apparent. Yeah, let's say yeah. It was apparent. Yeah. Uh, I was, are we, we going to be spoiling hard, a little bit of Hard Candy here? Uh, maybe maybe a bit. I mean, it's very difficult to talk about this movie without spoiling it it really is Uh, let me say this right now if you haven't seen hard candy if i'm not mistaken i'm i'm gonna reveal this now because we're we're gonna we're gonna spoil hard candy because sam and i are gonna want to talk about Mm -hmm. this sam gave this a four out of five if i I remember correctly i did i gave this a four out of five if you want to see a very tense thriller that is expertly acted by two actors that could almost basically be done as a play certainly it's two actors with what two other speaking parts yes right uh, the person that knocks on the door yep who and the person that shows up at the end yes i won't reveal i'm, I'm not gonna reveal anything else mm-hmm. that right. uh, there's only two other people uh credited mm-hmm. credited and, uh, so you know what that person's uncredited and this person is also probably uncredited i want to say yeah so really only only four roles okay all right so we're gonna we're gonna speak on hard candy and we're gonna spoil the shit out of it mm-hmm. and we're gonna spoil it a lot so if you want a movie that is really, really good and really, really well made, but so fucking uncomfortable and that you will cringe into your seat and not in like a fun The Office kind of way, like in an, oh my God, I feel like my stomach is in a vice sort of way. Um, that is hard candy, but it's awesome. This is like a little definition of a thriller. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So spoilers for hard candy. Give us a, I would say give us a good f- maybe five to ten. Yeah, if we say 5 to 10, probably 10. Okay. So give us 5 to 10. Spoilers for Hard Candy in 3, 2, 1. Go fuck yourself. You had a scene you wanted to talk about. I don't know if I... I didn't have one really queued up, but I can tell you... Well, I thought that's where you were going, and then I I mentioned the spoilers. I mean, I probably was going to go there. Okay. Uh, So, I mean, since we're in spoilers now, I guess we can just say it turns out that Haley, the young teenage girl, is... Not as innocent as she seems. She is 14, but she is hunting this child predator. She has... Uh, Who she believes is a child predator. Yeah, for the first 20 minutes of the movie, we're led to believe that this guy is luring this girl into his house. And yes. has been. But it actually turns out the opposite has been true. She has been playing innocent and has been hoping to get lured by him so that she can drug him, tie him up, and psychologically torment this man. I refrain from using the word torture... Because, well, I mean, she she does. It's she just, tortures him. Yeah, she does torture him. But it's a lot of it is more psychological than physical. Yes. Because the scene I want to talk about <laughs> is this. This movie's only about an hour forty four, and there's like a half hour in the middle of this movie where she has him tied up on a table, pants down, with his belly up, with a bag of ice on his nuts, so that it will be numbed, so that she can castrate him. And there's like a half hour scene where we're just waiting for him to become numb. Where, uh, what's, I almost said, um, I almost said Patrick Stewart, but it's Patrick Wilson. Uh, where Patrick Wilson, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, 
goes through basically the stages of denial or the stages of grief, I guess, as he realizes what's happening to him. Uh, he's like, whoa, you've got the wrong guy. Like, I didn't do what you thought I was going to do. Like, this is this is a complete misunderstanding on timing. Like, we'll get this all sorted out. And I think he, he yells at her and, uh, and gets angry. And by the end, he is sobbing like a fucking baby. He is pathetic by the end of this interaction. Just like, please don't take my nuts. Please don't do this to me. And kudos to Patrick Wilson because... It's, 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 really a, it's an amazing performance, and it goes a long way to the feeling of discomfort in this movie. Like yeah. I said, this scene is so drawn out, and even though this man is despicable, and you you kind of don't relate to either of these characters, which feels kind of intentional. Uh, it's difficult to really say, but she's a fucking psycho who's tying this man up and torturing him, but he's also a fucking child predator, and he was going to if given the opportunity, do horrible things to this young girl. So you don't sympathize with him either. But goddamn, this man begging, begging to keep his nuts. Uh, just, it killed me. It, it, I, I felt like I was having a panic attack I wonder, watching the scene. I wonder how females felt. Yeah. Because I think part of the reason, because I mentioned when we talked about this movie is that this scene is so well done and so well acted that you come close to all to actually feeling sorry for this accused, I think at this point still accused pedophile. Yeah. Because I don't think, and we're in spoilers, I don't think she has quite discovered that he, I don't think she's uncovered the safe yet. Mm-hmm. Or has she? No, she, she uncovered the safe at the beginning. Right? I'm pretty sure that's where we she go. She must have. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where, like, that's right before this. Because he's in the chair when she uncovers the safe. Yeah, okay. And he's already tied to the chair. Yeah, uh, okay. So she's, now. okay, so he's no longer accused. She's, she, ha- she has the, she has the proof. Yeah. Which, as a very smart filmmaker, who I can't remember who the filmmaker is, they uh, don't, they don't show it. No. Right? There's no gratuitous. Which almost makes it worse yes. like the the brain does the imagining like the ear cutting scene in reservoir dogs exactly yeah uh the director's name by the way uh david slade not to be confused with david spade <laughs> <laughs> um yeah the entire scene in the uh in the basement of of this house and there's a line uh where Haley turns to him and says after he's begged and she's toyed with him a little bit. She's gone back and forth and said, oh, I'm going to be going into medical school. And this is a really easy procedure. Don't worry. It's going to be completely painless. We're going to get you all numb. And she's like toying with him an awful lot. And then he starts crying. And she has a great line delivery where she just like kind of gets a little bit solemn or a little bit serious. She's like, I'm sorry. This is my fault. I shouldn't have let you think there's a way out of this. Yeah. It's like, oh, ice cold. Yeah. Ice cold. I'm, I lo- I loved this movie. Uh-huh. I love, I, I, I won't lie. I don't remember how I discovered it. I'm sorry. You say 2004? Five. 2005. I don't remember how I discovered it. I'm pretty sure I heard about it on the festival circuit. Mm-hmm. So I, I, as soon as it hit home video, I start. I watched it, and mm-hmm. I've always been completely blown away by the performances and this film as a whole. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fantastic movie. Incredibly tense. Incredibly well done. Just one of those small hidden gems that we talk about all the time. And this was at the top of my list. For the Manny Movie Club, and yeah. I only picked uh, th- this was my second pick. This was gonna be my first, but I couldn't find it on a streamer. And then the moment I saw it came to Prime, I was like, "That's what's next." Yeah. What, like th- there was no doubt what was next, and it was <sighs> it was this. 
Uh, the opening 20 minutes of this movie are almost, almost as uncomfortable as that scene, uh, that, that castration scene. Uh, but the opening 20 minutes are them meeting in a cafe and getting to know each other. And Patrick Wilson, again, like all credit in the world to Paige, who's doing a great job and a great child performance. But Patrick Wilson nails both the, like he, his emotions are all over the place in this movie. He gets to play completely distraught completely angry and then at the beginning of this movie he is a fucking creep he has the the creepy unblinking stare just nailed down and he disgusts me just to look at he is he is a he gives off the worst vibe possible and i am disgusted by his very presence and i mean all this in a very good way this is all intentional of course on his part as a performance but i i don't think he's blinking that much in in this first scene i feel like that's intentional it just i believe the technical term is it gives me the heebie-jeebies <laughs> <laughs> i think his performance is phenomenal i have the best actor nominees from that year 2005 um, hold on. So, Departed was 06. So, 2005. We reviewed this. This is one of the ones where we did five movies in a week. Fuck, yeah. Um, so, was this Million Dollar Baby's year? No. It was Crash? Yeah. Uh, Crash's year. Okay. So, then, who was nominated for Best Actor that year? We reviewed this. We The, the Best Actor winner. Is, uh, we reviewed that movie. It was because it was in a, it was a best picture nominee. So were either Heath Ledger or Jake Gyllenhaal up for best actor? Yes, for Brokeback Mountain. Heath Ledger. Heath so Ledger won. Okay, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get all the rest of them, so maybe you should okay. just. Okay. Uh, so the me. winner was Philip Seymour Hoffman for Capote. Right, which neither of us were super big on the movie, but his performance was quite good. Yeah. Terrence Howard for Hustle and Flow. Didn't see it. I've seen once. It's, it's good. I think I could probably put Patrick Wilson here. Yeah. Next up, Heath Ledger for Rope Back. Sorry. That's, mm. not, that's not coming no, out. No, not moving. Joaquin Phoenix for Walk the Line, which I actually haven't seen, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, I haven't seen it. Wow. I've seen the one scene. I've seen a couple of scenes. I've seen the one where they're in uh, the recording studio and he plays Folsom Prison Blues. Um, I think it's Folsom Prison Blues that he plays there. Well, Folsom Fitz, Prison Blues he plays in... Folsom Prison. Is that the one? Is that the scene scene where he's actually in the prison? No, I'm talking about the scene. There's there's one where he's in the recording studio playing a song, hmm. and they tell him basically to fuck off. That like it's nothing interesting. Oh then... yeah. Oh maybe, or maybe he does play Folsom. Oh, anyways, I I know what I know what the scene you're talking about. It's a good yeah. scene. Yeah, it's a good scene. It's a good movie. Yeah. So I've heard. I've heard it's really good. And then, a movie that you had never heard of. You watched, and I. I'm pretty sure you liked, and that's David Strathairn for Good Night and Good Luck. Yes, that has been on my rewatch list for some time yeah. now, because I really did enjoy that movie. Yeah. So then we have Elliot Page mm -hmm. for Best Actress. You didn't see the winner. That's Reese Witherspoon for Walk the Line. Mm -mm. I might be able to give this, I, th I think I might be able to give this to, uh, to Elliot over her. Yeah. Uh, well, what, what are other nominees? Judy Dench for Mrs. Henderson Presents. Haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Felicity Hoffman for Transamerica. Mm -hmm. Haven't seen it. Uh, Kira Knightley for Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I haven't seen that one. No. Uh, and then uh, I have seen this one, uh, and I'm not taking her out. Then it's Charlize Theron for North Country. 
I haven't seen any of those. I don't think. Shocking. Wow. I know, right? Yeah. You 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 always seem to lack on the actress. Well, nom- you know you know why that is. It's because I watch all the best picture noms and none of the ones with good female <laughs> performances get nominated. <laughs> True. Huh. Um. But yeah, I, I I I feel pretty good about having Elliot Page in best actress. Yeah. Now. I I mean. I have no counter-examples to give from 2005 that are mm-hmm. better. I think that's a fine pick. I'm so glad that you liked that movie. I'm yeah. pretty sure you would. Yeah, really, really good. One of the other things I liked about Hard Candy is how shocked everyone was that I picked that movie. Yeah, this just <laughs> does not seem like a Manny pick. It's just like way too much of a thriller. Like this, These sorts of movies aren't usually uh, your cup of tea, but it's actually not that violent. It's not. It's really not. Everything that happens or is implied to have happened is off camera yeah so it's really not that violent a movie it deals with some heavy fucking subject matter. sure does yeah but uh, as we've learned on the podcast here tonight you're not always opposed <laughs> to that i'm so glad you enjoyed it i did awesome. i really did awesome it's a great pick shocking pick but a good pick and yep. i will never watch it again <laughs> i don't think i will ever watch hard candy I again i definitely think and we went over the 10 minute a, limit there a solid five to ten years from now maybe i'll just be like this was really good i'll revisit it's, it it's it's been about well that i mean long if you me. watched it in 2005 it's been 15 or 16 years i maybe watch i think the watch i had for the would have been maybe the fourth or third time i've watched it oh, okay yeah it's not one you can go back to very often it's a heavy goddamn watch i felt like i need to go take a shower it's a hundred percent i guarantee you i've seen this movie at least three times mm-hmm. I know that I watched it, rewatched it, and then for this. So I'm at three or four times I've seen it. Okay. Right. Uh, Hard Candy gets four from me, four from Manny. Lovely. And now, Manny, the main course. All right. We're there after an hour 20. Yep. The film we are here to review is the latest Marvel film, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. It was released September 3rd, 2021, directed by Destin Daniel Cretton. Written by Destin Daniel Cretton, Dave Callahan, and Andrew Lanham. Uh, starring Simu Liu, Aquafina, and Tony Leung. Has a Metascore of 71. We have no idea about the Oscars because it's eligible for the Oscars this year. It had a budget. They didn't give me a, a number. They gave me a fucking range. Either what? a $150 to $200 million budget. That's what I got. That's not um, at this point, because we're reviewing a brand new num- uh, brand new film, at this point on Thursday, one week after it's released, uh, it has grossed $101 million in the U.S. and $157 worldwide. Bust. Yeah. Uh, th- those are really good numbers for the pandemic. It is actually the, I think, the second highest or the highest uh, so far since the pandemic, next to Black so- Widow. Oh, did Tenant not do that well? Tenant's last year. Yeah, I thought you said since the pandemic. I meant this year. Okay. Gotcha. Since since the theaters reopened. Gotcha. That can't be right. F9 must have been done. F9 have to have done better. I'm not sure. I did. I definitely didn't go see Fast 9. Neither did I. Uh, the plot, Shang-Chi, the master of unarmed weaponry-based kung fu, is forced to confront his past after being drawn into the Ten Rings organization. We're going to have our spoiler-free discussion. Sam, I'm going to get you to lead off here, but I'm going to start you off with a question. Yeah, you bet. And then let me know what you think. What were your expectations of this movie going in? That is a good question because I really didn't have any, I don't think. Most Marvel movies come with some sort of 
baggage, for lack of a better term, before them. I mean, you go into an MCU movie, you do kind of know what to expect. I, I said off the top that they do have a tendency to be a little bit formulaic at times. Like, there's always some city being destroyed at the end, and there's usually some glowing artifact that they're chasing after. Um, but for Shang-Chi in particular, I really didn't have a lot of expectations. Um, as a matter of fact, like I stated earlier when we were talking about Dune, uh, I really just try to go into movies as blind as possible these days. I didn't know anything about Shang-Chi the character. I know that you, as an MC, as a Marvel fan, not just the movies, but as the comics as well, you've also stated that you didn't really have a lot of uh, prior knowledge about the Shang-Chi character. I was, I was also just completely blind, basically. I didn't know anything about the character. I didn't know anything about the stories. Didn't know even what his powers were. Um... So I was I was happy to go in blind, and uh, I guess that's a roundabout way of saying I really had no expectations. I, I had no expectations other than I knew that Marvel would not create a dud, or at least I felt quite confident that Marvel would not create a dud. I expected to go into this movie and at least like it, at least see some good visuals, um, and at least be introduced to a character that I really know nothing about. All right, fair enough. And? And... I had a pretty good time with Shang-Chi. I think he's a, he's an interesting character. I think his arc, while not as interesting as somebody like a Tony Stark, for instance, who's had the benefit of like eight or nine movies to develop his arc, I think the movie does about as good a job they can as introducing an, a character to an entire generation of people because Shang-Chi is not one of the most popular Marvel characters. It's not by a long shot. So they had the tall task of introducing this character and his powers and his backstory to an entire generation of kids and giving him a compelling arc, having him become Shang-Chi in some way. Um, in my mind, that kind of takes the form in this movie of him reckoning with who he is, reckoning with his past, reckoning with his family lineage, uh, and sort of realizing who he is and how things outside himself make him who he is. So I think that's a little bit of a tall order. It's not quite realized as fully as maybe I would have liked, but it's there, at least. It's at least there, and I can give the movie credit for that. Fight choreography is maybe as good as we've ever seen in an MCU movie. This draws a lot of influence from martial arts-style movies. There is a cameo in this movie from... I don't know if you can even call it a cameo, actually. There's an appearance in this movie from uh, one of the actresses from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And it yeah, it's not a cameo. Yeah. Because that's a role. Yeah, it's a role. Yeah. Uh, it <clears throat> feels like we are taking some pretty heavy influence from that genre of movie and that movie in particular. It's not as good as that. I mean, that's probably the best martial arts film ever made. Or at least among them. I No, I, I like that statement. Mm -hmm. I, if you ask me what's the best martial arts movie ever made, I'm going to go Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and then have to think about what the other might be. Yeah, exactly. So that's if that's the bar for best martial arts movie ever made, um, the fights in this movie are not that. But they're really good, and they're inspired by that, and they do a pretty good job of paying homage to that kind of style. And I guess it's not even really paying homage, because it is the same... Like it's, well, it, if if you don't mind, please. Okay, so Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that type of fighting in that st uh, that type of film is called wushu. Mm -hmm. um, that's where 
they're floating around and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If I can jump ahead, which we're, we're going to dive into, the as an example, the bus fight scene, mm-hmm. that's inspired by Jackie Chan films. Yes. Um, so this is taking a lot of Asian film... Um, that's what I'm looking for. Influences. Mm. And incorporating it into this movie. This movie is um, directed by an Asian director. It has an all-Asian cast with a couple... Actually, I was going to say, I'm like, is there... Oh, yeah. I'm like, Razor Fist is a white guy. Yeah. But actually, no. I think he's Russian, so that's technically Asian as well. Mm. So it's it's an all-Asian cast with an Asian director. And so it's using... It's using... <laughs> it's using Asian film influences to make this film. And it's easily apparent. And it's really well done. I think it's so, really effective. Okay. Uh, there is something I want to ask you uh, yeah. because we were talking a little bit about this movie off air. Just uh, actually, we were watching the trailer for it, and you couldn't help but uh, but turn to me and make a little remark. You were like, "I loved Aquafina." Can you can you expand on that? Yeah, oh well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I'm a big fan of Aquafina. I'm trying to remember. I would have I I personally would have been introduced to her. I believe in Crazy Rich Asians. Yep. She is the comic relief in that movie. She's the comic relief in this movie. She does a voice acting work in Ryan the Last Dragon. She is spectacular. The farewell and the farewell where she gives a dramatic performance, which I think she was robbed. Awesome. Yeah, robbed of an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. I like her as an actor. I think she is really great at what she does. I see her as someone that is going to build a solid foundational. Oh. And she was she was in Ocean's Eight, but that, I didn't see that first. I saw that later. She, I think, she's the one that's building this really great foundational base as this really great comic sidekick. From what I've seen, she's capable of doing in the farewell. I think she's crafting herself an incredibly rich and diverse career. Mm-hmm. I see nothing but incredible performances from her down the road on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. I think we're going to see she she can keep playing this Aquafina comic sidekick for as long as she wants because she's good at it mm-hmm. and it's fun. And then she's also going to find roles like she did in The Farewell where she can show off that she actually has chops. I'm looking forward to seeing what she does going forward. I think she I think she's a very entertaining actress. But I can understand if people don't because it's a fine line because she is almost over the top. She doesn't – I don't think she gets right to the edge, no. but she approaches it, and I can understand why some people would find her annoying. I personally don't. I think she's delightful. I don't disagree with anything you just said. I loved her in The Farewell. It was an excellent movie oh, and an excellent so performance. Good. Crazy Rich Asians. I was lukewarm on the movie, but she was one of the best parts of it. That character is great. She is sort of playing in between those two roles here. She's probably closer to the Crazy Rich Asians version of herself in this movie. But she's not like completely into wacky zaniness uh, as she is in Crazy Rich Asians. (laughs) Um, My main problem, I think, unfortunately, is that the character, Katie really doesn't have anything to do nope. in the movie. And it's something that is sort of 
referenced on a meta level in the movie where they like they reference it so it's okay we're like ha like a few days ago i couldn't even shoot a i won't get into that because okay. we're not spoilers, but you know what i'm about to say yes yeah but like she plays a like a somewhat prominent role later in the movie but like it's referenced numerous times that she's like hey why am i even here right now and it like the movie kind of winks at the audience when it does that but i'm sitting there in the chair going yeah why are you here right now this is shang chi's story and you just sort of your character just sort of decided that you're coming along for the ride and all the other characters in the movie are just kind of cool with that and it doesn't make a lot of sense i have no problem whatsoever with aquafina's performance in and of herself she's great i I like her a lot but I just, I found myself scratching my head throughout the movie. I'm like, why is she here in the scene right now? What does she have to do? I understand the narrative purpose that she serves. She serves the same purpose as uh, Martin Freeman does in Black Panther, where they are the outsider to this world. Yes. So they are somebody for the main character to explain their shit to and therefore explain it to us. So we are unfamiliar with Shang-Chi uh, as a Western audience. And with him being one of the least or one of the lesser known MCU characters. So we need somebody for Shang-Chi to look at and say, here's all about me and -hmm. therefore explain it to them and explain it to us. So I understand um, from like a script writing perspective why she exists in the movie, but from like a her having agency and (laughs) a reason to exist in the plot perspective, just like there's none. Yeah, there's none. So that kind of bugged me. Wow. I never latched onto that at all. Yeah. I don't disagree with everything you said. Mm-hmm. It didn't occur to me. I, that was, having, did I was having too much fun. Um, outside of that, back to positives. This movie looks awesome. And I don't just mean the choreography. Something that we don't often talk about in MCU movies is the cinematography. And there's Rarely. a couple of great shots. There's some beautiful shots. There's some great scenery. There's some set pieces that aren't completely CGI, although mostly because it's the MCU. Um, there's sort of a framing technique that's sort of brought back of just like, it's almost Wes Anderson-y or Stanley Kubrick-y where it's like very far away shots, symmetrical with a tiny object in the foreground and a big, beautiful background of some kind. There's lots of shots that look like that. They just look like, like framed paintings and they're gorgeous. Um, I looked up the cinematographer it's uh bill pope. It's, it's bill pope so there are a couple times especially in the fight scenes uh there's one in macau uh where oh. where i was just like who is this cinematographer like this this fight scene is really cool and like really really well stylized and like the set design is really cool and i looked it up and it was bill pope and i know him mostly from his work with edgar wright yeah uh so like now that i like i didn't know that while i was watching but reflecting back on that that uh, that Macau scene in particular is just total echoes of like Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's quite quite a clear parallel. So I I thought that we looked awesome. Good. Yeah. Uh, any anything else you want to get into before we get into spoilers? Well, let me. <clears throat> my expectations of this movie were, mm-hmm. I was hesitant to be excited about it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how they were going to be able to make this character interesting as they start the next phase of the MCU. I wasn't sure how they were going to be able to introduce this, in all honesty, 
D-level character and have us be interested in him. And I didn't know the actor Simu Liu very well. I knew that he was on this Canadian sitcom called Kim's Convenience, but I'd never seen it, so I didn't know, does this guy have the charisma to lead a Marvel film? And he does. Yeah, completely. I am really excited to see what they do with this character going forward. This movie was a lot of fun. I do have some problems with it, but I'm going to get into that in spoilers because it's the only way I can openly discuss it. I think the cast is great. The cinematography, like you said, is top-notch. This movie looks fantastic. The world-building they did was really well done. I had a really fun time. I have some problems with this movie that you haven't touched on yet, Mm -hmm. so I'll get into that with spoilers. So my expectations were actually a nervous apprehension, and they were easily exceeded. Mm -hmm. So... uh, Let's get into spoilers for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings in three, two, one. Go fuck yourself. The best place to start is with the lead character, Shang-Chi, played by Simu Liu. He's fucking awesome. I went to his uh, his Wikipedia page just briefly, and he's listed as... Um, a Canadian actor, writer, and stuntman. I didn't realize he's a stuntman as well, but having seen this movie, it's it's very apparent that he is. Uh, something we have talked about with guys like Tom Cruise who do their own stunts mm-hmm. is that it's not just a gimmick. It's not just some... Well, I mean, in Tom Cruise's case, it is some crazy rich guy just, <laughs> just going as close to the brink of death as he possibly can, uh, but it also does such a great service to the films that he is in. Yes. He's doing his own stunts. And it, it really is a world of difference um, when all of the action is in camera and beautiful. Yes. And it's immediately noticeable. Right from the bus fight. The, the, the fight on the bus is so in camera. Yep. And it looks awesome. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I had heard that the choreography for this movie was good. Uh, and then... During the opening exposition scene, we have Wenwu and uh, his his wife. Lee. Yeah, they, they have a fight. And in, in the Wushu style. Yes. And Which that... Which is shot beautifully, by the way. Shot beautifully, but the choreography itself in that scene, I was like, this is... I don't think I like this. Like, this is a little bit cheesy. It's a little bit, like, falling in love while they're fighting as well. Like, it is, it's, it's pro, it is an homage to some of the, some of the Eastern styles more so of, yep. of martial arts filmmaking. Uh, but that particular scene, I was like, this is, this is not really doing it for me. So I was actually, oh, wow. I was actually, I was actually worried after having seen that scene. I was like, I just might not like this movie i was on the opposite end oh, i really? was transfixed really yeah okay. i was like i'm like this is amazing this oh, okay. is exactly what i want it is beautifully shot i mean yeah. no, no denying that even a little bit but when i really started to get kicked into when my enjoyment for the movie really uh was solidified was on the bus fight, oh, the bus when, fight. when we see uh i mean we, we started uh talking about simu Liu and sort of got more into the fighting style but the point being that his being a stuntman and his, I assume, being a, a trained martial artist, um, it, it 
shows completely on screen. Totally. And the movie is so much better for it. And the fight scenes are really so much better for it. Um, As far as him himself, he's very charming. So charming. And uh, I don't... The movie almost tries to make him a little bit in the early going. They almost make us try to believe that he's not a loser, but just... He's not as... Like, let me try to put it this way. I don't believe for a second that anybody would be shocked that this man is a superhero. (laughs) (laughs) Like, when they're on the bus at the beginning and Aquafina says, Come on, look at him. Does he look like a fighter to you? I'm just going, yes! (laughs) This man is huge! This is a bona fide hunk! Yeah. Oh my god. This would have worked a lot better. Let me ask you this. Mm. Obviously impossible. But... Would this have worked better if he looked like Bruce Lee? Like a little leaner? Yes. Maybe. I th- it's because he is he is he's not like like Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans ripped. He's, but he's not far he's off. Chunky. He's like, not I mean, far. Sorry, chunky is I mean, implies yeah. fat. He's not. He's he's buff. He's, he's buff. He's buff. Buff is the word. Yeah, he's yeah. buff. And so you're right. Like when she says that I'm like, "Well, yeah, he 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 obviously is in fantastic shape. Yeah. I wish I didn't look like a fighter like he does. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, his his ability to do his own stunts, to do his own fight choreography makes a world of difference. Mm-hmm. And he's really good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's super charming. He has really great comedic timing, which he learned from working on a sitcom, I think, for seven years. Holy shit. Um, I think that's how long Kim's Convenience ran, ran for. Uh, 2016 to 2021. So right. that's so, five years? Well, six. Six, I guess, yeah. yeah. So six seasons of working on a sitcom, you're going to be able to pick it up. And he, he does it effortlessly, unlike me being able to say that word. He is really fun to watch on screen. His action choreography is top-notch. He has really great chemistry with Aquafina, which I want to get into because... Did you feel that they were trying to imply that there was a romantic connection between the two? Yes. You, really? Mm-hmm. I did not see that at all. Okay. The only thing that they, the only part of that movie where I feel they did is when the grandma says, when you're getting married. The rest of the time, they come across as complete friends. Mm-hmm. She does not, the only time she ever looks at him in some loving way is when she sees him with his shirt off in the in that fight scene in Macau. When he ends up fighting his sister. Yeah. Other than that, they just come across as complete best friends. She could have been a male character, and I think the movie would have been exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I never picked up any type of them being in love, them falling in love. I see it as a completely platonic, incredibly great male-female friendship. That is probably true. Um I really hope they keep it that way. Yeah. I really do. Not that I have anything against it. I would just really love a male-female friendship. Yeah. It's not a common thing to see. Um, not in movies. No. My my go-to example of a good male-female friendship... I don't even know if that counts because it's sort of a workplace friendship. I was going to go with uh, George Clooney and Anna Kendrick and Up in the Air. That's fair. Yeah. But that's that's 2009. That's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, and their friendship isn't really all that great. Yeah, either. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, he has great chemistry with Aquafina. I think he has 
great chemistry with Tony Leung, who I, I'm going to go in deep with, with you when we okay. get to him. Okay. Um, I just really enjoyed Simu Liu. I'm really excited. I am really excited to see what they do with this character going forward. Uh, we'll get into scene-specific stuff later. Uh, I'd like to just kind of focus on the performers right now, if you're okay with that. Yeah, of course. Cool. I'm going to move on to Aquafina, which we've already touched on. Yeah. Great comic relief. Great comic sidekick. She is exactly what she needs to be for this film. I understand your criticisms in regards to the realistic reasons why she would be there. There is none. But in regards to the cinematic reasons, yeah. it's obvious why she needs to be there. Mm-hmm. I think she is uh, thoroughly enjoyable to watch. Since we're in spoilers... Yes, I do. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. My problem with Aquafina comes at the end of the movie, which you touched upon. I'm gonna. We're gonna touch upon that later if we can just put a, a put, put a, a put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. We'll touch when they when they get to the. I forgot the name of the the realm they go to. Talo. Talo. Thank you. I'm gonna save Talo for later. Hmm. So leading up to that, Aquafina is a lot of fun. Your thoughts on Aquafina before I move on? The performance is great. None of my problems with Katie are problems with Aquafina's performance. She's mostly funny. I, I. That's not really a problem with her either. Most of the problems that I have with her are are with Katie. I thought there was some setup at the beginning for her uh like being a getaway driver but the payoff came a little bit too quick like before the bus fight there's i think sort of a joke about her uh yeah there's a joke about her valet driving there's a joke Mm -hmm. joke about her kind of being a uh there's a word for that like a like a like a joy rider i guess there's there's that sort of implied so i really would have liked for her to have gotten like a chance to drive a spaceship or something like that later um obviously this isn't that kind of movie but i didn't know that at the time um, Fair. Regardless, I would have liked that sort of payoff. It didn't really come. But as far as Aquafina is concerned, I, I have really no problems with her. She's really funny, and I, she was one of the better parts in this movie. I just wish the scriptwriters would have given her more, given, mm-hmm. given her something to do in the movie. You know. Fair. Shang Chi needed his guy in the chair. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> Tony Leung. This was his first English language film. Really? This was he can speak fluently. This was his first Hollywood movie. He is, and I can't stress this enough, Sam, a massive star in China. I don't think we truly have an equivalent here. He is like this is the this is the best way I can describe him. He is Daniel Day-Lewis and Tom Cruise there. Whoa. He is considered one of the best actors and one of the best action stars. We have reviewed a movie with him in it. I just I was just looking up his filmography. <laughs> I suspected that I might find that in there. Infernal Affairs? Yes. 2003? Yeah. That's a long time ago for us. Yeah. If, let me double check. I think it's uh, episode 27. Holy shit. <laughs> That's like 150 episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's done a couple other movies that 
uh, that I like. If, if do you have his filmography up? Uh, I don't, but uh, I can. Yes, I do. Okay, can you quickly check? Uh, just scroll down to uh, mid to uh, mid nineties for a movie called Hard Boiled. I'm pretty sure he's in it. Yes, 1992, Alan Kong Leung. Yep, nominated Hong Kong Film Award for Best Supporting Actor. Okay, I've heard of that. That's like a that's like a batshit crazy action movie, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I've heard of this. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's right behind you on the, sh- on oh, the shelf. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Shit, I should lend it to you. You should. I would happily watch it. Um, <clears throat> Tony Leung in this movie. Sam, I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, Wen Wu one of the best Marvel villains they've had. I wow. love him. I love his acting. I love his arc. I love everything about him. Tony Leung kills it in this movie for me. Mm-hmm. He's not... I'll, I'll, I'll put him here. I'll put him here. He's. I think he's top five for me. So Thanos and Killmonger. Thanos, Killmonger, Loki, um, Adrian Toomes, the Vulture. Yep. Wenwu. That's pretty good. That's a good list. I'm trying to think of anyone I would uh, even put over there, um, but no, I that's, can't, that's I a can't, solid list. I can't put. I can't put. I mean, what other great Marvel villains are there? Like, my, my mind keeps going to Obadiah Stane because he was the first, but mm-hmm. he's not like that good. Like no, Jeff, he's not. Jeff Bridges is like fine. He's a good, good villain. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who else even is there? There's um, the weird. Uh, bald dude from house of cards who was in uh ant-man <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> nope not up there um no and then there's ghost from ant-man and the wasp you can have um you might do a homer pick but mads mickelson from doctor strange i don't think he's that good no i didn't i mean i talked about doctor strange but even though i love mads mickelson i didn't even talk about like i I do I do you remember his name? I just watched the movie two nights ago and I can't remember his name. Oh, the character name? Yeah. No, I can't. Oh, uh, Caecilius. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to put Ultron in there. No, I, not I, that good. I like Ultron, but can't put him in there. So I guess you can use this one if you want, but I guess you could put Winter Soldier in. Yeah, he's, I mean, technically. Technically, yes. But I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't. No. Uh Right, Whiplash, like um, Mickey Rourke from Iron Man Two. No thanks. No. And then you have uh, um, Guy Pierce from Iron Man Three. No. Right. It. So that's what I'm talking about. When I think Wen Wu is fantastic, aka the Mandarin. Um, there, I've. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> um, will. The one thing I actually I didn't realize there is a major difference in this is the Mandarin. Uh, Wenwu is the Mandarin. Mm-hmm. He there's a major difference between him and his power sets from here as there are in the comics. Are you aware of that? Uh, briefly, I was just okay. doing some reading before we came on, and Wikipedia referred to him as the Marvel Cinematic Universe's first original villain. Like apparently, he is so far off from the source material. He's that so he's, far off that he's really not. Uh, apparently, the main villain in Shang Chi was Fu Manchu. Yes, which they decided to cut for being culturally insensitive or problematic. I don't know a lot about that character. All they don't own the rights to Fu Manchu. Ah, Marvel bought the rights to be able to use Fu Manchu in their comics, hmm. so they don't have the rights to use him in the film. Nor would they, anyways. He is way too problematic. Yeah. Okay. So Wenwu is 
mostly original because his character is so far different from the Mandarin in the comics that they're not the same person. But the Mandarin has ten rings of power, mm-hmm. but they are rings, yes. as in jewelry rings, not bracelets like they are in here. The ten rings of power, each one is a different power. Mm. So there's like one that has ice power, one that has fire, one that has flight, and one has that. This is just ten rings of power. They just allow to give him superhuman abilities. You know, it looks like like electrical whiplashy stuff. Looks like a, some ability to f- shoot some type of force beams. The ability does it? Can he fly or just kind of leap far? Yeah, it's sort of it's sort of um, like if he throws his if he throws his hands downward, the rings sort of like come off his hands and propel him. Yeah. Um, uh, almost, he's almost sort of doing like a jump rope sort of motion. Yeah. Like whipping his hands down. Either way, I like the changes they did yeah. because I was really worried at how they were going to do this. So the Wenwu is an original character because he's so completely different mm-hmm. from the Mandarin. I love the arc that Wenwu goes on through the whole movie. I love that he is, what, a thousand years old. He's conquered the world, continually searching for power. That's when he meets Lee as he tries to uh, enter into – what's it called again? Uh, Talo. Talo. Why can I never remember that? I don't know. Um, that, that opening fight scene between the two of them I think is gorgeously shot and very beautiful. I love that as they're fighting, they are falling in love. It is very Wushu style, mm. much like we saw in Broke. Uh, sorry, not Pac Mountain. <laughs> uh, Crouching Tiger. Crouching Tiger. You know what I'm Dragon? just remembering, actually, that's worth pointing out? I think I was kind of lukewarm on Crouching Tiger. You were. Dragon. It broke my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I didn't get it. Yes. You I, said that. I think I said that. I'm like, I don't think I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, with that in perspective, I think that probably is the reason why I didn't like some of the martial arts sequences yeah. in this movie, in particular that one. So I'm a big fan of Tony Leung in this mm-hmm. movie. I think he does really well. I think his acting is really great. I think he's a very interesting character. I am very sad that they killed him off. Mm. Very sad, because I th- I think he could have been a incredibly great recurring character, because he's very complicated. Yes, he is. I don't know how you do that, though. Like, it's so necessary for his arc. Like, he's just a man who's obsessed with power and yes. immortality who then realizes that it's no longer his turn and that the best way for him to redeem himself even a little bit and not to be completely shitty is to give up mm-hmm. everything he's ever worked for to his son. Yeah, totally. For the same reason, like, there's no way that Killmonger could have survived that movie. Yes. But I didn't want him to die. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Michael B. Jordan is so fucking good. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm a big fan of Tony Leung. Um I think I've said most of the stuff I want to say about him. The other stuff I'll get into when we get into some scene-specific stuff I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. But do you want to say anything about Tony Leung? Um, I really did enjoy him. I was not familiar with him at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I enjoyed his performance. I didn't contextualize it in those terms where you said uh, he's top five Marvel villains up to this point. That thought did not enter my mind. But I don't necessarily disagree with you. Um it's a it's a great performance and a good villain, especially considering the fact that this is not uh, this is not a Marvel Comics property. This is an original original creation. Um, so with that considered, uh, it's kind of a I was about to say it's a Marvel, but I don't want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a miracle 
that this character turned out as good as he did. I think his backstory with Shang-Chi, uh, like their relationship is really what drives this movie. It's the heart of the movie. Um, there's a lot of themes in the movie about family mm-hmm. and about um, how one's family has a massive influence on who you are as a person. Yep. Or I, I think there was a line, I don't know if it was in just in the trailer that we watched or if it was in the movie too, that it was like, you are your father, you are your mother, something like that. Um, but uh, with those sort of dynamics at play, I think that Wenwu is a, is a great villain. And you're right, probably top five in the MCU, which is wild. Awesome. <laughs> wild to me. The last one I want to touch on, I kind of hinted at, and you made a face, so I'm very interested. We have a surprise appearance from a character that I didn't know was going to show up. Me neither. And that is Sir Ben Kingsley as Trevor Slattery. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead. So Sam. in Iron Man 3, which is where this character is from, as you know, I wasn't a fan of Trevor Slattery. Mm-hmm. He is in this movie probably the right amount. Yes. I think any more of Trevor Slattery would start to grate a little bit. Even this already is, is beginning to be a little... I mean, it's a silly character, so it's, it's unfair to say that he be- begins to become a little bit silly. I think the best scenes with Ben Kingsley in them are the ones where he's talking to Morris. <laughs> I think that is a really fun dynamic. Also, what the fuck is Morris? Yeah. He's like a, I think they call him like a pig dog, but he also doesn't have a face. Yeah. It's weird. So, um, I do like Ben Kingsley at times, but he is, he's a little bit silly, but his scenes with Morris in particular got good laughs out of me. Good comic relief. Good. And in the movie, the right amount. The the movie is wise to let him take a backseat in the fight, I think. And in the, in the third act of the movie, we don't see a lot of Trevor. No. Uh, we get like one cut to him where he's like playing dead basically with Morris. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, the movie is wise to just stick with him for a little bit. Okay. Uh, have you, do you see the, the Marvel short film with him in it? No, I did not. Damn it. I, I meant to save a note and I was going to make you watch it. This sets up what happens between Iron Man 3 and this movie. Oh. It's called Hail to the King. It's on Disney Plus. You should watch it. It's mm-hmm. only like 10, 12 minutes long. And watch it through the credits too, because even though it's a short film, there end is credit a, scene? there's an end credit scene. Love that. Uh, which I think you will like mm-hmm. particularly. I won't say why. Okay. All right. But give it a watch. It just kind of explains what happened. When did it come out? That's a good call. Uh, it was would have been released on the DVD of something. Uh after Iron Man 3, so probably... What's well, after Iron Man 3? Age of Ultron? All Hail the King. All Hail the King. Is a 2014 direct-to-video short film. Uh, but it's a follow-up and spin-off of Iron Man 3. Yeah. Doesn't say what it was on. Okay. No, it doesn't say. Um, t- 100% worth the watch. All Hail the King was released digitally and on the home media release of... Thor the Dark World. Thor the Dark World. Okay. Uh, 100% worth watching. Maybe I'll make you watch it before I take you home. Cool. Okay. We're done with Trevor Slattery. Mm -hmm. For now, I have something I want to talk about. Those are the main characters I want to talk about. Mm. Was there any characters that you wanted to touch on that you felt like needed some time? 
Uh, so we talked about uh, Shang-Chi, talked about Katie. Um, I mean, the only other real one of the main cast is uh, Xiao Ling. Yeah, uh, the sister? Yeah, the she, she's a super badass. I, I'm a fan of her. Yep. Uh, I like... I, I like her story, how she uh, she wasn't even really a, a classically trained martial artist. Mm-hmm. She was not involved in, uh, in, the sh- in, in the Ten Rings. She wasn't involved in that organization at all because she was a woman. But she just watched from the shadows and studied them and learned and got better than everybody else. Yes. And even beats the shit out of... Uh, I shouldn't say beats the shit out of Shang-Chi. Uh, she sucker punches him in the ring, which at the moment I was like, hey. Like there was a there was a kick to the nuts and a sucker punch. Yeah. I was like, you need to relax. <laughs> but uh, I like the character, and I, I think she's uh, she she gives a good performance in the movie. So you enjoyed the actress? I did her film debut. Really? Yes. Good for her. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Did you uh, did you happen to notice Simu Liu's uh, film debut? No. That's a sentence, by the way. Sim- Simu Liu film debut. Uh, he was an extra. In the 2013 uh, American science fiction monster film directed by Guillermo del Toro, Pacific Rim. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> That's unfortunate. And okay. That was, his, oh. that was his only other uh, film role before 2021. Uh, he was in a movie earlier this year called Women is Losers, 2021 American drama film. Uh, but that was his only other two film roles before uh, Shang-Chi. Really? Yeah. So he was just, just uh, killing it on... Um... They saw him on Kim's Convenience and thought, this guy is, is ready to go. Wow, good for him. Yeah, and honestly, to Marvel's credit, he crushed it. Big time. Especially with that context. Jesus. Mm. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm going to get into some scene-specific stuff here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we touched upon it, the opening fight between Wenwu and Lee. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I like the Wushu style. doesn't quite resonate with you. Yeah. I thought it was beautifully filmed. I love how it showcases and leads up to and builds their love for one another didn't quite work for you i can understand it mm-hmm. especially considering you didn't get it in crouching tiger <laughs> hidden dragon if i didn't get it in like the absolute pinnacle <laughs> of the genre <laughs> chances are when you trickle down i'm still not gonna get it yeah uh but the bus fight yeah wow yeah so good right now i'm i had avoided of the trailers me too but I think I saw a piece of a trailer somewhere and I saw that there was going to be a bus fight. Mm. I had no idea it would be this good. Mm-hmm. I honestly thought like the bus fight would be like a two-minute scene. Mm-hmm. For it to be one of the set pieces and for it to be this good was mind-boggling. At this point in the movie, as I'm watching this unfold, in my mind, I'm like, this is going to be a top 10 Marvel film. Mm-hmm. I am on board. I am... And not lo- getting off the bus anytime soon. I am loving life. It is shot beautifully. It is so much fun. It is so kinetic. I am having a great time. The action is superb. You said... I think you said this. But this is arguably one of the best fight scenes in the MCU. I didn't say that, but it's so funny because I was just thinking that. Like, I was thinking when Manny's done talking, I'm going to say this is one of the best fight scenes in the MCU. I think the only one I could put in contention 
the elevator fight scene in Winter Soldier. Before we get started, does anyone want to get off? <laughs> yeah, okay, that's probably the best. But, <laughs> but I mean, there's... I, I can't really think of any off the top of my head. I mean, it's difficult to think of to think of examples like that off the top of your head. But, mm-hmm. but the, like, I can think of some, like, good examples. There's Captain America versus Baltrock the Leaper. That's GSP at the beginning of Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. There's the two, <clears throat> I guess, fight for the kingship in the Black Panther, like, on the waterfall. Mm-hmm. Those are good, um, but, but a lot of the uh, I'm thinking I'm purely sticking to just hand to hand combat scenes. Yeah, because the thing is, I mean, my mind when I think of iconic action scenes from the MCU, my mind goes to Thor, Cap, and Iron Man versus Thanos. Yes. from Endgame, but that is more so about it being the culmination of like just the the sheer scope and awe of that of like this is the pinnacle mm-hmm. of this entire project like it's the emotion behind that more moment more so not that it's not a, a well-shot fight scene or anything no, like that absolutely delightful but as far as the choreography and the sheer creation that went into that scene emotion removed like i i don't know one that's better than this than this bus scene i genuinely don't maybe probably the elevator right. <laughs> probably the elevator and that's yeah. like that's it yes yeah i agree maybe cap versus cap yeah, it's a good one. But that's just that's just so fun because they have the there's two great jokes in it. Yeah, that's that's America's ass. Yeah, and <laughs> I know I know, like I can do this all day. I, I know, know I know. <laughs> so, but yeah, this bus fight it went on it went on longer than I was anticipating. That is not a complaint no. because it is so great. Mm-hmm. So bus fight scene, fantastic. And worth reiterating yes that having a lead who can do martial arts mm-hmm. uh, at a at an expert level and having a cinematographer who is excellent leads to this scene being able to be shot in creative ways yep so marvel movies look the way marvel movies look because the people doing these scenes are actors mm-hmm. like you can't just shoot scarlett johansson actually getting into a fist fight because she's not a fighter so when you get um, Simu Liu and uh, Simu Liu in camera and Bill Pope behind the camera, you now give the cinematographer license to set up shots wherever he wants, however he wants. There's this awesome scene from outside the bus yes. where it just follows him. It just It's just a little tracking shot from a 90 degree angle as he's walking up and down the bus kicking ass. And when that happened, I went, that is so fucking cool. Yeah. I was so pumped about it. Nothing but praise for the bus fight. One of the best parts of the movie. Wicked. I'm not going to go plot by plot. Sorry, before the, we get off the bus fight, the uh, the joke with the, the pull bus stop. Oh, the Brit, signal? <laughs> yeah, the, what, how are you going to signal when he pulls the cord? As somebody who spends a large <laughs> amount of time on public transit, I got a kick out of that. I love that because when he said, oh, you'll know, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, is he going to explode something? Like, I don't... Yeah, you expect like some action movie. Too. Totally do. And when he pulls that thing, I was like, well done. <laughs> because well it done. Is, it's, an, it's an unmistakable cue. <laughs> yes, it is. It's so unexpected. Uh, the... In Macau, where he goes to the fight club. Mm-hmm. Wait, Manny. The first rule of fight club. You don't talk about fight club. But I wasn't there. I was just a witness. Oh, sorry. Then, yeah, you can talk yeah. about Fight Club. That's fine. The – we see Wong. So, 
it is now canon in the MCU that Wong, in his spare time, just goes off and gets into underground street fights in Macau. Yes. That's just canon now in the MCU. Did you know who he was fighting? I did not. Okay. That's because you haven't seen The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Correct. That's the villain from The Incredible Hulk. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that is... Uh, Abomination. Abomination. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> he only says a couple words... But he is voiced by the same actor who played the Abomination. Oh, um, hold on. Don't tell me. I, I do know this. It is uh, Tim Blake Nelson? Nope. And I don't know. Tim Roth. Tim Roth. Yes. Why am I thinking Tim Blake Nelson? Because Tim Blake Nelson is in The Incredible Hulk. Oh, but it's not him. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that was a nice little uh, Easter egg. Yeah, especially because the MCU kind of likes to forget that the, uh, the Edward Norton Hulk exists. Yeah. When, in fact, it does. So that was fun. Uh, the, I like how this uh, scene, this section here, kind of subverted my expectations as we're obviously like in this fight club. He's going to fight somebody. We're going to see this great kick-ass scene. And he ends up getting his ass kicked by his sister. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was like, I'm like, but I was like, I'm like, I'm, okay, I'm on board. I'm like, another fight scene? Yeah. I'm like, fucking sign me up. And then it turns out to be a sister, which you see coming when you when she's arrived in you know in in shadow. And I'm like, okay, it's his, it's his sister. Fine. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this will be fun. I did not expect him to lose. And this elevator is definitely up to code. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great, but it's what happens after they fight, where this movie goes to another level. This the, skyscraper. The pacing so far, by the way, the pacing is just like fight scene, fight scene, fight scene. We're we're moving along quickly. Yeah, and yeah. This uh, I have it referred to in my notes. I think as the scaffolding chase or the scaffolding fight. Yeah, I have it as a, as a scaffolding fight. Mm-hmm. The one quick thing, because I want to touch on it. I love how upset he is that Katie bet against him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you bet against me, and she was right. So. Yeah, <clears throat> but the scaffolding fight. I'm on the literally on the edge of my seat i'm Mm. leaning forward i am fucking in on this movie i'm having a blast i'm like oh my god this movie is gonna be absolutely unreal i'm at this point i'm like this is top 10 marvel easily and climbing the ranks Mm -hmm. i'm having a blast this is so well shot it's so well acted the action is superb how can they go wrong and they do um I'm very curious to know what the what the uh, misfortune that will become this movie is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, befall. befall. So the, the scaffolding scene, so well shot, mm-hmm. incredibly inventive, completely pays homage to Jackie Chan films. Yes. It is fantastic. And then there's the, um, right near the end, uh, where uh, Shang-Chi fights Death Dealer. The guy in the in the mask. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant, so fast, loved it. <laughs> yeah, the uh, in that fight scene, by the way, the lighting of because that they're uh, they're off the scaffolding yes. in that uh, in that scene. They're in a separate room with like the city lights behind them, and there's like lots of in my mind. There's lots of pinks and reds. Yes uh in it again very well shot scene and yeah the choreography is bang lightning quick when wu reveals himself here mm-hmm. 
they fly off to the Ten Rings. Yeah, go ahead. So Wenwu's plan here. I don't understand why he needs both of them in the same place at the same time. Like, I understand he's the one who sent the postcard to Shang-Chi. Um, and so when uh, when him and his sister, whose name escapes me at the moment, um, uh, Shaoling, uh, when he's like, so why'd you send me the postcard? And she's like, I didn't send you a postcard. Then it's revealed that it's him. Okay, fine, fair enough. But you would think it would be a disadvantage for... Um, for Wenwu to have both of them in the same place at the same time, if he knew he was going to have a battle, like you would think, couldn't he just, if he knew where both of his kids were already, couldn't he have just captured her whenever he wanted, then send the postcard and capture him? He didn't like, want to, he didn't, he didn't want to capture them. He wants, he wants to get his family back together. That's mm-hmm. what he says. Yeah. He's like, I want, I, I, I want you guys back. Yeah. And then I want you guys to help me find mom. Cause she's alive. Mm-hmm. It's, he's not kidnapping them. That's not his original plan, but when he realizes that they're not coming, then he has to. Yeah. He wants his family together. I see. <clears throat> when they go back to whatever, Ten Rings headquarters, I'm still on board. Where the movie takes a turn for me, because I don't believe they set it up well enough for me, despite the wushu opening and the talks about... Fuck... Ty Lo. Oh, God, I was going to forget again. Mm. They even mentioned Ty Lo, but... The mentioning of Tai Lo in the, in the early thing, he's searching for it because they practice a martial art in around mystical creatures. I let slip the mystical creatures part. So when they go to Tai Lo, and all of a sudden this movie goes from street level, even though there's the Ten Rings of Power, the street level urban fighting and stuff like this, to this magical, mystical creature land, mm-hmm. that tonal shift didn't lose me, but it was a major disappointment. Yeah. Because the first half of this movie is so incredibly brilliant and inventive and fun, and then the last part becomes a CGI bullshit fest yet again. Don't get me wrong, the dragon versus that big soul creature, visually amazing. But the main fight of this movie doesn't truly involve Shang-Chi. Yeah. It's him taking down a big CGI creature. Yeah, I was kind of underwhelmed at the finale of the movie. Um, I guess kind of a question for you um, that I don't know if you're equipped to answer, but the first thing that comes to mind is, is it possible that in Eastern cultures there is just more of um, a widespread assumption in particular in art and film that there are just sort of spirits and magic within everything because this is something i caught on to um in particular when i was watching spirited away a japanese animated film that you and i have both seen and both enjoyed but there's just kind of it's kind of taken for granted a lot in that movie that just dragons exist and they have this set list of powers and they look like this and they have these abilities, and I, I kind of just explained it away when watching that movie. I'm like, oh, this is probably just a, a thing that happens in Japan. This is probably just a like a, and, and a widespread chi- and, cultural and China because yeah, it's exa- mostly Chinese. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So yes. So thank you because I actually meant to say this beforehand. Mm-hmm. For those of you listening, if you're not aware, Sam is a white male. Yep. I am half white, 
half First Nations, so I'm speaking about a culture that I don't know anything about. Exactly. I'm I'm not speaking rhetorically. I'm genuinely asking questions, trying to get yes. answers here. So from my under like from my understanding that these type of dragons and these type of creatures um, that they go to, especially I, I can't remember what they were called, but those those, those large lion creatures that mm-hmm. are on the good side. Yeah. Um, and that those nine-tailed foxes that you see, those beautiful white mm-hmm. creatures, yep. these play a very significant role in a, in a lot of Asian cultures. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, that sounds very bad. Dragons do as well. And so this finale, from my understanding from a couple of the podcasts I listened to, this meant a lot to people of Asian descent. Mm-hmm. For me, it really detracted from what I was enjoying. So it hit the mark for where it was supposed to, it missed the mark for me. Mm-hmm. The first half of this movie, the first two thirds of this movie, right up until they go there, I was on board and ready to anoint this easily in the top ten. Now I'd actually have to kind of think about. It. I'd have to actually take a look at the list because mm-hmm. the ending just didn't work for me. Did it detract or make the movie unenjoyable? Not in the least. I think it's beautifully shot. There's still some really great moments. Shang-Chi fighting Wenwu. Wenwu, I don't want to quite say he sacrifices himself, but kind of does. Yeah, I'd say he sacrifices himself. It's really touching. It's a really great moment. Um, There's just a lot to like. I was just really enjoying the... From what it looked like in the beginning, this wasn't going to be we have to save the world. Mm. thing this was going to be like we're going to have to save our dad or we're going to have to save we're going to have to somehow overthrow our father's criminal organization yeah and i think the mcu generally does good to sort of even though we're all there for the world ending city destructing battle of new york all of this stuff we're all there for that you and i the MCU is at its best when it can kind of have a range of world-ending scenarios. You know, you can have the Snap and Thanos you know, killing half of all the universe's inhabitants up here. And then down at the bottom, you can have Ant-Man trying to, uh, trying to do a heist in the first Ant-Man movie. Mm-hmm. Or down at the bottom, you can have, like, even Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man just trying to stop a weapons manufacturer yeah. just locally in his own town, you know? So, I think... The MCU does well to exist on a gradient, yeah. sort of, of world-ending villains and low, lowly street-level villains. Yeah. I think that's a, a wise thing for it to do. And yeah, I was also kind of disappointed because it, it feels like just kind of a like a crime mystery movie for the first act. Yeah. Right? It feels like kind of a mystery movie. And there is a lot of, I mean, obviously there's a lot of legend around Wenwu. It's called The Legend of the, Tw- uh, the Ten Rings. I almost said Twelve. Um, it's called the legend of the 10 rings so there's obviously a lot of mystique around it and the first act plays that up fantastically yeah i like i said i was so on board and then i just kind of felt i don't know let down on the dragon note i do just have a one line note three words that says dragon ex machina (laughs) hmm That's how I felt about that as well. I didn't really, I didn't really chime into that other than the cultural discussion. But I felt the same way. I thought the inclusion of the good dragon in the end. You know, I'm down to fight a big bad dragon. I'm, I'm totally down for that. I think the the bad guy dragon, the evil dragon, looks super cool. Did look super cool. Good looking dragon. 
down to have that fight in the end. We even make a point of manufacturing all these weapons that uh, totally aren't ripped off from Game of Thrones. <laughs> that are the only things that can kill this dragon and its little minions. I like all of that. But then the fact that we have dragon on dragon combat instead of Shang-Chi and his new powers doing the destroying, mm -hmm. you know. Which leads me to the part about Aquafina that I like the least. Yeah. I wish because she's comic relief, I don't like that it's her arrow that leads to the demise of the soul sucker dragon. Mm -hmm. I I could have bought it if her shot had been an accident not one done on purpose. Like if she was taking aim and then something bumped her mm -hmm. or she got scared and she just let it go and it happened to do it. I would have been much better than that. But the fact that she'd been doing archery for a few days and she's all of a sudden become Hawkeye. Yeah. That just rang untrue for me. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I knew the second that she accidentally got brought into the archery range that she was going to be the one to save the day. This was some Jar Jar Binks level bullshit of just the bumbling fool getting to save the day in the end. Mm -hmm. I was not impressed. Yeah. It's really unfortunate because they were doing everything else so well. Yeah. So well. So yeah, the movie really faltered um, with this conclusion in particular. Yeah. Um, again, at this point in the movie, I'm just, I'm really puzzled as to why Aquafina is still there. Nobody, nobody has gone. Why are you just bringing your friend along? Somebody send her. Well, home. one person did, uh, Master Guang Bo. Yeah, is that the old dude? With the... the old guy. Yeah, cool. He kept going. What? You're not fuck. Why are you fucking here? Yeah, he's basically the only one. Who's like, you should fuck right off. Yeah, but I don't think pointing it out from a movie perspective is enough. I don't think just pointing it out makes it okay. Mm -hmm. Like if you had a movie with a bad script and one of the characters goes, boy. Aren't the words that we sang so stupid? Isn't the script terrible? You wouldn't just be like, ah, now it's okay. Now the script is good. You yeah. know? So, so the fact that she is poorly written, and they point out that she's poorly written, doesn't make it better, in my opinion. Fair. Yeah. I only have one... I've got a couple more things before I want to wrap up. Mm -hmm. Because we talked about Trevor Slattery before. For me, the funniest fucking moment of the movie is where he talks about the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> that is a really good moment. That is brilliantly written and brilliantly acted by Ken by, by Ken Bingsley. By Jesus. Ben Kingsley. <laughs> so he genuinely believes yes. that that movie was acted in by monkeys. Yes. He actually believes that. Yes. Still. I was dying laughing. <laughs> In the theater. And I think it's Aquafina who pipes up and goes, so you actually believed that they were, and he's like, riding horses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely had a good belly laugh. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, we're, we're, I'm, we're jumping ahead a little bit, uh, but Sam and I discussed this prior. We don't have a best quote for this film mm -mm. because the quotes page that we usually pull from isn't quite full yet as the movie's so brand new. That's going to be my favorite quote, is him talking about Planet of the Apes. Yeah, that's good. That'll be my vote. Uh, the only other thing I want to touch on before, and I'm willing to wrap up, and then you can you can touch on anything mm -hmm. you missed. Um, 
the two post credit scene. Actually, the scene leading up to the post credit scene, the two of them at the bar talking yeah. to their friends, brilliant. Really fun. So fun. And they think that they're mocking them. Yes. <laughs> and then Wong showing up, taking them back uh, to, uh, I think he takes them back to the Sanctorum. Yeah, to uh, Camartage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where we learn or they're unsure of the ring's origins. I think they say they're alien of some sort. We see. I, I don't. I don't think they know, right? Yeah, they're unsure. Yeah, because they say they're they're definitely not vibranium. And that was my first thought. I thought they were going to be vibranium. And then uh, I think he said there's some type of signal that it's giving out. Yes. So I'm excited. We get to see Captain Marvel, sadly, and <laughs> uh, we get to see Bruce Banner. Yeah. What's up, man? Looks like he's no longer a Smart Hulk. That's true. Yeah. Be yeah. interesting to see where they go. Yeah, and they uh, another thing that they say in that scene that's very interesting, I think, is that uh, he mentions that his dad got them thousand years ago, and they say, "Well, I mean, if what we're seeing here is correct, they're a lot older than that." Yeah, I think that's very interesting. Should be good, mm-hmm. and that's everything. Well, and then the the po- the very post credit scene is we see that his sister is uh, taking over the ten rings without the ten rings. Without the Ten Rings. She runs the Ten Rings, but does not wear the Ten Rings. Yeah. Did you also see what the very end of the movie said? It said the Ten Rings will return very soon. Didn't say Shang-Chi will be appearing in, like, Doctor Strange 2 or said the Ten Rings. So that's peculiar because the fact that they say the Ten Rings, that would lead me to believe TV series... But the very soon leads me to believe that there's nothing immediately set up. But since in but all which other... ten rings are they talking about? Are they talking about the criminal organization that his sister set up, or the ten rings that are the ten rings of power? I don't know. Yeah, I guess we'll have to find out. I look forward to it. Uh, anything that you want to touch on before we wrap it up here? Just a couple of small things yep. to uh, to to wrap up. Um, Razor Fist, I think, is super cool. Yeah. Uh, I kind of found it funny. Not a bad thing, just something that I noticed, that whenever he, like, enters a scene, or is just in a scene in general, he was shot with the exact same, like, mid-distance shot, just so that his arm can get into the shot just so. Just so that you can see that, uh, his his left arm is is missing from about the mid-forearm down. Mm Mm-hmm. I just found that kind of funny. He's framed, like, the exact same in every shot that he's in where he's not fighting. I thought that was funny. Um, so I liked that. Um, what else do we have here? I, I, I have uh, Trevor Returns, the cameo literally nobody was asking for. <laughs> but then it turned out to be more than a cameo. I was just copying what I said directly out of my notes. Um, a couple more notes on shots. When they're uh, having that Planet of the Apes discussion... Um, it's a really funny scene, but the only note I have from that moment is uh, the shot from behind the vehicle. Again, it's another one of these shots where a small object in the foreground, beautiful scenery in the background from behind the vehicle. And then when they go behind the waterfall as well, there's another one of those shots where there's a big cherry blossom in the right-hand side of the screen. There's just, there's just so much visual <laughs> goodness. Um, I guess last thing I would say only scene i wanted to talk about it's just a really small one um it's the only one i wanted to talk about that we didn't really get to but i really enjoyed it there's a a flashback scene to a casino in macau 
where um, Wen Wu brings Shang-Chi to teach him a lesson that mm. a blood debt must be paid with blood. And it's a it's a kind of a brutal scene mm. uh, where, where he basically just kills everybody in this casino. And it's dark. And you get a look into why exactly it is that Shang-Chi ran away. Yes. And why it is that he's so scared of his dad. And we get a, a look into Wen Wu's character. I thought it was a great scene. Nice. All right. A little bit of trivia for you. Okay. Uh, Tony Leung knew nothing about the Mandarin and did not try to research the character. When Marvel Studios contacted him, they gave him full authority to make his own history of the character. Cool. He did not mind playing a villainous role, his first ever, but he sought to give the character depth and history. Quote, I tried to explore the reasons that led him to become who he is. He's a man with history who craves to be loved. He's a sociopath, a narcissist, and a bigot. But he's also human and has a family. End quote. Nice. Uh, the symbols in the Ten Rings logo are Chinese characters. For vast, uh, one that has a variously meaning majestic, male, or heroic. Mm-hmm. Strength and power. Uh, another one meaning might or awe. Authority. Power and strength. Robust. Greatness, outstanding, and rising. Uh, the Mandarin in the comics wears ten alien rings on his fingers. The Mandarin's rings in this film are revised to be uh, called Hungar Iron Rings worn on his forearms. These rings are used in martial arts training to strengthen the arms and fists. Uh, this change was made to incorporate Chinese culture, and because cosmic jewelry had already been done with Thanos, the Titan in the form of the Infinity Stones and the Infinity Gauntlet. Right, makes sense. Uh, when Shang Chi is asked to fight in the arena shirtless, it is a nod to his comic debut, where he would appear shirtless in an early comic book run. This was in itself an homage to Bruce Lee movies, where Lee fights shirtless, especially in the third act. Mm-hmm. This is also considered too much of a stereotype to be Shang Chi's uniform. Okay. Uh, a couple casting things for you. Uh, in the late 1980s, Stan Lee had considered a film TV series about Shang-Chi and had in mind Brandon Lee, the son of martial arts superstar Bruce Lee, for the role. Shang-Chi was visually based on Bruce Lee, so Brandon seemed a fitting choice, but the plan fell through. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but Simu Liu tweeted in December 2018 about asking Marvel for the role. He later retweeted the original tweet, on July 20th, 2019, thanking them. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, Donnie Yen was considered for the role of Wen Wu. Who's that? Donnie Yen um, is the blind, force-sensitive guy from Rogue One. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the Macau Underground Fight Club scene, Dr. Strange saying is, uh, Wong is seen fighting the Abomination, played by Tim Roth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Roth reprises his role, but is uncredited. Favorite quote, uh, we're not doing it this time. I'm kind of giving it to the Planet of the Apes speech. I can't think of a better one off the top of my head. I think it would probably win anyways. Uh, There was another really good exchange where uh, Katie makes fun of Shang-Chi for choosing the name Sean. Yeah. (laughs) 
And the uh, in that same scene, we also get the vegetarian or beef yeah. dish. <laughs> that joke. <laughs> and she's Aquafina. That's that might be my favorite Aquafina scene in the movie. It's pretty where good. She's like she first asks for vegetarian. There's no vegetarians. She's like so beef because there's because there's nothing left. <laughs> and she says it with a big smile on her face. It's yeah. really funny. <laughs> uh, favorite scene. I have four. Okay. I have the bus fight. Okay. The scaffolding fight. Mm-hmm. I have Wenwu versus Lee. That's the Wushu fight at the beginning. Okay. And I have Trevor and the Planet of the Apes speech. Oh, that's, okay, yeah, sure. Um, I have three. Okay. Uh, bus fight, uh, underground fighting ring in Macau. Nice. Scaffolding fight. I have those two as sort of separate occurrences. Oh, totally. Yeah, I think they're separate. Yeah. Sure. Uh, bus fight wins for me. Easy win. All right. Bus fight. Closing credits. Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? I don't think so. Um, if there was... No, I, I really don't think that there is. Um, no bad performances. I think I think good performances top to bottom. Um, just nothing outstanding, I don't think. Considering I don't have anything off the top of my head in regards to what it would compete against, I'll throw it a little uh, Tony Young for Best Supporting Actor. Sure, why not? I'm just going to throw it out there. We can give them that. What other aspects of this film are award-worthy? There is some damn good cinematography in this movie. <laughs> Kudos. Yeah. Um, oh, there's also, um, I want to say about that bus fight scene, there's a mm. really good, uh, like, electronic, uh, it's like a score, or I don't know if it's score or soundtrack or whatever, but there's an mm-hmm. electronic song playing under there that uh, really fits the tone of it well that I wanted to give a shout-out to. Um, that being said, I listened to the score this morning. Mm-hmm. I think it's certainly more interesting and more creative than some of the other Marvel scores that we get, but it's nothing spectacular. I don't think I would nominate it. Uh, I feel comfortable with the uh, with the cinematography nom. I feel comfortable with um, probably a best visual visual effects, obviously because it's Marvel, and uh, that would be about it. You have anything, listeners? One second. <laughs> you get him? Got the mosquito. Manny's been tracking a mosquito around the room for the last 30 seconds yeah. or so. And Fuck I've been that guy. watching him intently. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, you should have done it uh, with, some, with some chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fly. Shit. Uh, cinematography, I think, I, in all honesty, well, we're still early and Dune hasn't come out yet. But we'll see how... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised for a cinematography nod here. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I don't really think so. No script, no art decoration, no set decoration. Probably not. Not score. You know the sets do look pretty darn good, and a lot, in particular, the uh, the underground fight club in Macau looks really good. I don't think that's enough for a nomination, but I wanted to shout that out. Yes, yeah, that, fine. That set is awesome. Weak link of the film. Katie, for me, not Aquafina. Katie. Okay. For you, I would imagine probably the third act. The change in tone. The third act. Yeah. Yeah. Also fine. Was this anyone's career highlight? Uh, pretty clearly, it's Simulus. <laughs> pretty clearly. I don't know if it's Aquafina's. It depends how you want it to no. find. Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Even, I guess that movie did pretty well, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Because I wanted to say The Farewell because that's your best performance, but uh, I guess that probably didn't do as well as Crazy Not Rich Not even Asians. close. Yeah. Did that movie make a lot of money? I guess Crazy I mean, Rich overseas, Asians? Overseas it probably did, hey? Crazy Rich Asians? Yeah. Made huge money here and there. Really? Huge. That's a surprise to me. That movie was fine. Again, I didn't really get it. The thing is, 
you have to remember the reason it did so well is representation. Yes. That was the, f- at, at that time, Crazy Rich Asians, if I'm not mistaken, was the first all Asian cast mm-hmm. made by Hollywood in 25 years. Wow. That's yes. actually, that's a, that's a big deal. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I think the one before is called the Joy Luck Club, mm. if I'm not mistaken. So, and uh, I don't, I don't here, know if you've heard, Manny, there's a lot of fucking people in Asia. There's, there's yeah. a lot, especially in China. There's uh, there's one or two people over there who would be interested in watching I'm gonna, a movie. I'm going to take the two. I'm going to play Price is Right game. You got the one. Okay. All right. It's closest without going over. Uh, we're both. Oh, no, you're correct. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, MVP of the film. Oh, um, I am going to go with. Oh man, this is so tough. This is a, this is a, a good movie top to bottom. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different nominations I could go with. Simu Liu would be a, a, a perfectly reasonable pick. I think um, my usual cop-out answer when there's not just one is the director. Dustin Daniel Cretton could be uh, could be a definite pick. Um, gosh, I, I really don't have an instinct on this. I'm curious to know your answer. I'm going to go Simu Liu. I, th- I honestly think he is on the brink of superstardom. Yeah, I think you're probably correct about it. This is a, this is a star-making role. It's probably Simu Liu, but there's there's honestly a lot of others that uh, I would give consideration to. I I I think he is absolutely incredibly charismatic. I think he has a bright future ahead of him, and especially in the MCU. Mm-hmm. I I think he's going to grow into. I think he could grow into the type of character that we fall in love with. Similar, not quite at the same level, but very close. If he continues along this trajectory, because he has the same chops as we have Thor, mm-hmm. the type of character that knows how to play the action and the comedy together. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think he's going to be sadly. I can't remember. Oh, I remember who I was talking about this. Mm. I think the MCU, and this is super selfish of me to say, I think the MCU got truly fucked by Chadwick Boseman's death. Hmm. He was going to be Chris Evans. Yeah. Chadwick, the Black Panther was going to be this next set's Captain America. The beacon of loyalty, of heroic. Heroism? Heroism, thank you. Mm-hmm. The person that we look up to and admire. Mm-hmm. The leader. Now that he's gone and they've flat out stated they're not recasting it mm-hmm. they're going to work around it i think that they're truly going to have a huge void to fill simu Liu's not going to be he's not the one for that this character's not that i just don't know where they're going to get that from i think they're sadly i think they're going to try and throw it on brie larson's shoulders hmm. so i'm very interested to see how they do but i i truly think that if Chadwick Boseman hadn't died that this next phase of Marvel was in absolutely steady hands Mm -hmm. with him at the forefront I think he would have been this next version's Captain America with him gone I don't I don't know how they're going to do this and don't get me wrong I have all the faith in the world in Kevin Feige. Yeah, and I was just is... going to say, anything's possible when there's oh, billions and billions of dollars at stake. Yeah. 
So I'm I'm excited, but I, I think I think Simu Liu is the, is the MVP of this film. Okay. What will be this film's legacy? Uh, I think it's going to be the movie that put Shang-Chi on the map as a character. Uh, as has been stated many times, I've never heard of this character. And the fact that you don't know really anything about this character before this movie should tell me that we're pretty deep into the deep cuts of of the MC or of, of Marvel Comics. Well, this is the only deep cut they're doing. Because mm. all the other ones they have lined up are all relatively yeah with well the next one the eternals Mm -hmm. it's not a deep cut they're just not super popular yeah it's not a deep cut Mm -hmm. but like the eternals i think the only other new character i don't actually i don't think they're introducing any new characters until fantastic four which has been announced they're doing fantastic four oh they've announced it It yeah better fucking be good this time i have this much doubt and for those of you running zero i have zero doubt that it will not be good. I have, <laughs> it is going. I think it's going to be spectacular. I have nothing but faith in Kevin Feige. Nothing. Mm-hmm. He is. I'm sorry if your biggest letdown is Thor: The Dark World. I'm sorry. I'm in safe hands. Yeah. And I don't even think Thor: The Dark World is that big of a letdown. Yeah, it's a fine movie. Yeah, it's fine. It's reasonably good. Yeah, it's reasonably good and would be in the top three of the DCEU. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Uh, I think this film's legacy is the same thing. I think it's I think it catapults Shang Chi into the limelight and introduces the world to a brand new character. I think the other legacy is it's going to open up the MCU for more diversity. Mm-hmm. Would you watch this movie again? Yes, had a ton of fun. I'm actually disappointed I didn't get to watch it twice before we went same. on same today. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'll watch this again. I, I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing what my thoughts on the film are going to be knowing the tonal shift it takes Mm -hmm. and where it goes probably disappointment i'm going to imagine i imagine this for you is going to be a movie that when you rewatch it you're going to remember all of the good parts that happen in it as they happen and then you're going to go god this is no i think what's going to happen is that when i watch it i'm going to see if they set up that tonal shift better than what i saw i see since i wasn't looking for it Mm. be interesting would you recommend this movie to friends? Yes. Uh, I mean, chances are anybody who likes Marvel movies is going to go see it, and anyone who doesn't isn't, and those are probably the appropriate uh, denominations, or what's the word? Demographics. There we go. That's probably the appropriate people. If you like the MCU, you're going to like this movie. If you don't like the MCU, probably not going to like it. Yeah, I'm with you. i definitely recommend this to friends, mm-hmm. except for T-Bone. <laughs> T-Bone won't see this movie. Really? Yeah. Does he hate it? Does he hate Marvel? He he's referred to this movie as a uh, a money grab. We did talk about this actually when we were previewing the episode last week. Mm-hmm. We discussed the fact that there are potentially reasons. I mean, it's not even really speculation to say that doing a deep cut for this particular character, it's it's not a stretch to say that there's money to be had in China. <laughs> Film studios are realizing that there are nearly 2 billion people, billion with a B, people in China alone. And ignoring that market is probably a mistake. So the fact that you have an all-Asian cast with a relatively unknown Marvel character from a massive studio, like this is an unknown character, 
And how much money did we say got put into this movie? 150 to 200 million dollars got put into this movie. And that the, the insane thing is that's not an insane number. Like the fact that Marvel paid 200 million dollars to produce this movie with an unknown lead from an unknown comic book character. Mm-hmm. $200 million. And nobody thinks that's a bad idea because it isn't. That tells you the power of the Chinese market for film. Sam, do you want to take a guess at what the number one movie worldwide so far this year is? Number one movie worldwide yeah. so what far movie, this year. What movie globally has made the most money this year? Okay, I'll bite. Uh, obvious answer is Black Widow. No, Black Widow is, let's see, where's Black Widow? Number five. Number five, number, really? Number five, yeah. Okay, I just assumed because uh, because Marvel. Okay, what other big properties came out this year? I'm just going to quit you right there because you won't get it. Okay. This movie, the number one movie in the world, has made exactly zero dollars in the North American market. Okay. This movie is from China. It's called Hi Mom. Would you like to know the plot? I would. That has made foreign, it doesn't state where, but it's a Chinese film. It's made $822 million this year. Wow. The plot of Hi Mom is a woman travels back in time to befriend her own mother in an attempt to make her life better. Aww. Doesn't that sound amazing? That's so cute. Yes. <laughs> and that has made $822 million. Number two is F9. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's the other big one. Duh. Yeah. Number three is Detective Chinatown 3. It, too, has made $0 in the North American market. Hmm. And uh, I'll just read this one, and then we'll, we'll quit here. Uh, a major crime occurs in Tokyo when detectives Tang Ren and Quinn Fen are invited to investigate the crime. A battle between the strongest detectives in Asia is about to break out with bursts of laughter. Wow. Yeah. The, they have the plot synopses down over there. That's a, that's a great synopsis. Yeah. And number four, if you care, is Godzilla vs. Kong. Well, I did, but now I don't. Okay. So, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Final thoughts on Shang-Chi. I went in with no expectation. I had no idea about the character, about his powers, about the plot, about the side characters, about anything. Um, and I feel my film going experience was better for it, which is why that's a policy we have adopted and will continue to adopt. I'm happy that I went in relatively spoiler free. This movie was not without its speed bumps and not without its missteps but overall i had a really really good time the first two-thirds of the movie especially are exceptional the final battle is really a letdown for the most part the character arcs in the movie from purely a character perspective while not spectacular uh, like wh- while they are not the greatest that the MCU has ever seen, they are solid and definitely worthy of praise, I think. So the writing in particular is generally a cut above, with the exception of Katie's character, who I, I felt generally w- was not done justice. Mm-hmm. Um, for, with an actress as talented as Aquafina, I feel like more care should have been taken with that character. As a matter of fact, I think I wrote early on in my notes, I don't know if I copied this into... Um, 
electronic form. I think I wrote that her inclusion stunk of um, studio overreach. Uh, they stunk sort of of like we like you need to have Aquafina in this movie. Like the movie had been written, and then hey, you need to have Aquafina in this movie. Hmm. So get her in there. I think that's sort of the feeling that I got from that. Whether that's justified or not, you know, uh, people can talk about that. But overall, I had a great time with the movie. It, there's very little wrong with it. It's solid top to bottom. Good writing, good performances, some solid comic relief for the most part. A weak third act, but, you know, we can get past that. Basically the same for me. Mm-hmm. I think the first two-thirds of this movie are some of the best Marvel's done. It's incredible action, unlike anything we'd seen by the MCU so far. I'm really hoping. Sadly, I don't know if you noticed, they they did um, uh, dedicate this film to somebody. I didn't. Okay. Um, I think it's right before the credits roll. Um, the stunt coordinator, the person responsible for the action, stuff like that, passed away. Oh. Um, I didn't know that. Well, yeah. the, the final work that they did was spectacular. Yeah. He, uh, he actually... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Got his tutelage under Jackie Chan. Mm. Um, tutelage. Good word. Thank My you. God. He... I think... I can't, God, I wish I could remember his name. Um, I think it's Bill Adler or something like that. Shang-Chi stunt coordinator. Brad yeah. Allen? Okay. Well, I had the first letters of his life. His yeah, name's right. Got BA. <laughs> I got BA right. Uh, so th- the the fight scenes, the action scenes in this are just a step up from what we've experienced previously in the MCU. I was falling in love with this movie and ready to annoy it as one of the top-tier MCU films. Uh, but the third act... Uh, derailed it a little bit for me not to the point of not enjoying the film just took a turn that one I didn't really see coming and two I didn't enjoy I understand completely why the majority of audiences would really like it especially for those that this is culturally significant for but for me it just didn't resonate it just didn't hit the mark Uh, I'm very excited to see where this character goes Uh, a star making performance from Simu Lee uh, a really great, powerful performance from Tony Leung, great comic relief from Aquafina, and a fantastic, really short, perfectly amount of spice from Sir Ben Kingsley uh, with the best comedic moment in the film. Hmm. Uh, I had a great time. I'm very looking, fo- I'm very looking forward to. <laughs> it is so it's late. late. It's late for us. Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited to see where they go with this. Uh, I just want to... <clears throat> Uh, briefly point out in the cash grab discussion that we just had, it's worth pointing out that um, something I probably should have emphasized a little bit more. Uh, I am not so naive to point out that this is a cash grab and not believe that other Marvel properties are not equally cash grabby. Like if you, if you think that Endgame would have existed if it wasn't guaranteed to make $2 billion, then I don't know what to tell you. Kevin Feige isn't making these movies out of the goodness of his heart. I'm sure he's very passionate about them and has a strong emotional connection to them and is happy to see them take to the big screen. But this man would not be hired to do this job for this long if these weren't guaranteed dollars in the bank for the people who need them. So if you don't want to watch Shang-Chi because it's a cash grab, I respect that. You're entitled to your own morals, but you need to realize you're not allowed to watch any other Marvel movies after that because these exist because they make money. Yes. That's the bottom line. Yeah, this is uh, as much as we 
you and I go on about this being an art form, it's a business. Yeah, hundred percent. There's, I'm sorry, you can't spend seventy million. This and not even for this movie, but you can't make, you can't spend seventy million dollars to make a piece of art. No, you people will not be happy with that. You need to get a return on your investment. So this, this is a business. It also happens to be an art form. So yeah. artists need to be able to make money. I know people like to imagine the struggling artist. Everyone wants every movie to be clerks made on a shoestring budget. Yep. Um, out just out of just sheer power of will and determination from a from a writer director and a visionary. Um, but you know, like you said, it's a business. Yep. Uh, Sam, your rating for Shang Chi. This feels like an easy four for me i had a really good time and the fight scenes in this movie are as good as any we've ever seen in the mcu so four it is easy four for me i had a great time with this movie uh sam what's going on next week next week we are back to the kevin smith uh we're gonna be talking about uh dogma in episode 174 i'm excited me too Awesome. Uh, so please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it does increase the profile of our podcast. allows more people to find us. If you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, you can find us at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can follow us on Facebook at Samuel Manny Movie Podcast. You can email us. Isn't that what I just said? Who cares? Fuck it. Let's get the fuck out of here. It's late. For the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. There's no quotes of note in this movie. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>